Welcome to the Ether. Today is Saturday, August 20th, 2022. Today on the Ether, Inside Terra's Collapse and the Coinage Doquan interview, hosted by Zach Guzman from Coinage and Donku. Let's take a listen. Donku, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm just quickly uh, enjoying a walk around the village that I'm living here. Um, I thought the magnitude of the space talking to somebody who talked to Doquan in person uh, made me feel to take a walk, which remembers me to the May time. And I wanted to put myself into that mood, <laughs> maybe to get the, some special questions out, which, I mean, I have a ton, right, uh, that maybe we'll get to in a moment. But I'm fine. I hope you too. Yes, I think, you know, reflecting on all of this is exactly why I wanted to set up this space as, um, as two people who kind of, you know, I think we even had a space in the meltdown uh, during that week to kind of talk through with everybody who was impacted by it and heard a lot of stories of people who were impacted by it. And, you know, I, I just figured after we put this interview out, there was still probably a lot of questions uh, about how it went down, what happened behind the scenes. So I definitely want to give everybody a chance to ask those questions and for me to answer them, um, but also just kind of as someone who I think is one of the smartest people in DeFi. You know, you were really helpful in in asking uh, or in answering some of my questions when we were trying to report this as well. So I just kind of wanted to give everyone the, uh, I guess, opportunity to maybe ask you some of these questions, too, because you were super helpful. And I think that was the whole thing we were trying to do, right, is get answers for the community. Obviously, this impacted people all over the world. Uh, and we all understand the gravity of life savings being lost. You and I both lost money in this as well. Um, so there's a lot of questions and a lot of anger and a lot of emotions around all this. Um, and I do think, you know, what Coinage was trying to do with it was really kind of putting all that stuff out there um, in context, right? And so obviously the feedback has been loud and we've appreciated all the feedback in terms of how do you tell this story to both a DGen audience and a mainstream audience. And so, you know, uh, Donku and I have both kind of focused on Terra for reasons that we both thought, you know, this is a big crypto project. It's either going to be the biggest success or the biggest failure in trying to solve decentralized money in a decentralized uh, medium of exchange. And, you know, I think as we've seen with Tornado Cash and USDC and stuff going on right now, like clearly that message sucked a lot of people in and it, and it you know, convinced a lot of people to put their money into this project. But as we kind of look at maybe who knew what, what Doquan knew and all this, like you, you kind of look at it and you reflect on what happened in May with a little bit more information, a little bit more knowledge, and a little bit more about like kind of how he's reflecting on all this too. And, and a lot of people were angry around, you know, no lack of regret or emotion, I think that comes across in this interview. And that's not really something, <laughs> that's something I can control, right? And I was kind of surprised by that a little bit too. It's just like, 
his stance on whether or not there are emotions at play here. It's just like, you know, the market is what the market is. These things are going to happen. And that was kind of a surprising thing. You know, he accepted blame. But I'd be curious to get your thoughts, Donku. You watched the second part. I mean, we put the first part out as kind of like a mainstream audience telling of this tale, right? You don't need to know too much about DeFi or crypto to know kind of like when something's a failure versus when something's a fraud. So we went with that kind of narrative in the first cut. Part two, which I hope everyone kind of watches now and realizes we did ask a lot of the questions in the weeds around Luna 2.0, the LFG reserves, um, you know, what he wants to do with kind of the rebirth of Terra and how he's looking to move ahead and whether or not he has the trust of our own community anymore, like people who were interested in Terra. Because like, why would you still want to support something like this, given what happened? And so we asked all those questions, but I'd be curious to get your take after watching part two, which I encourage everybody who's like in DeFi to look at, um, what you thought about some of those answers. Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, um, I think we talked about this, right? I mean, um, as you said, right, you approached me also in preparation of the interview. It was so hard for me to not tell everybody that something is coming there <laughs> in terms of interview, because I think all of us had so many questions. And I felt myself way more interested in the second part of the interview as you said more like the DeFi questions more like what happened during that week how do you see this failure where do you see this coming why did this fail and yeah what you say kind of the lack of emotion which i felt myself but at the same time while listening to in a very objective manner that's what i want to hear right in terms of also if it moves forward i i was super interested in the second part of the interview now of part two, where you try to push him more into the direction this, uh, what was it, the tiger um, question that you put him like with the yeah, family? The tiger I mean, that wasn't even my thinking, too. That's just like how Do Kwan explained his rationality. And obviously that metaphor exists for markets. It's just like, you know, we're all beasts in a jungle. And yeah, that was the discussion there. Yeah, it was interesting for me that... Um, you try to push it more and more in the direction of getting that answer, that emotional answer also, and kind of what does it all mean? And I had the feeling that at the end of the interview of the 50 minutes, it's like you, you got him also to a point where, yeah, okay, hmm, difficult. He said then philosophical question, but never really answered that. I think when he understood for himself that it's kind of tough for everybody to listen now to it in such objective way, while we're all invested subjectively with money, emotionally and that's what you also said right in the first part that people are interested they got interested like you and me uh we put even more into this we we thought that this was something to pursue as a career and he said it himself right that's why he doesn't short that's what he's saying i thought it was super interesting because that's how i see this topic of why should i short a whole community they put that so much in there but at the same time as you said hmm, he is a little bit maybe lacking the emotion what a lot of people i don't know that they want to see more regret in all of this. But at the same time, he is playing the piece of, and I think he's totally right. If I now would sit down and regret everything, he would probably not come back. So it's difficult. Yeah. But let me ask you back the question, like, how was it to talk to him? You know, that's what I'm so curious about. I mean, I don't see the first handshake in the video. <laughs> it it's was true. like, yeah, yeah how it's was true. That? I mean, there's so there's a lot to get into in regards to kind of how this all came together, which we definitely should get into. And I want to share those details as well, because there's been a lot of talk on crypto Twitter about bias and things like that. And, you know, I think a lot of that, again, stems from the fact that we put out 
one cut first that I think a lot of people, if you watched it, would have been like, what the hell? Where's the rest of like the actual questions and the nitty gritty around all of this stuff? It's like a natural reaction that I kind of, again, we're a small team trying to push this out and we're clear about there's always going to be the second cut, but we could have been a little bit more clear about that. So maybe not all that surprising that there was this reaction of like, <laughs> what the hell was this? He didn't ask you the questions that we care about. But again, Coinage as a brand is trying to like speak both DeFi, DGen speak and English at the same time. So we basically told the story in a first part and second part that like anyone can come to this and watch it and understand, okay, this is what Tara was. This is where it went wrong. And this is what this guy's talking about, basically. So, Zach, let me ask you maybe the questions kind of, uh, I know that uh, you reflected on this, right? You were maybe also surprised by the takes. Kind of, what do you take maybe as a learning? Do you say like some of this we should have approached differently in terms of the different parts? I think a lot of, I see it always in my German community reflected, which they basically give me the insight of what are the questions other would ask. And it's like, They said, oh, this is an NFT, you know, I don't want to mint this, this costs a lot. And then, ah, it was a free NFT. Why don't you call it a subscriber? I don't know, whatever. So is there something that you say, yeah. maybe we yeah. should do it differently or it was just new? Well, yeah, this is new, right? Coinage is a new project. No one knew what we were all about. No one knew what we were trying to do. So like, I, I don't blame anyone for kind of jumping into the conclusion like, okay, what the hell was that? This is a biased thing. And especially if like the only thing they knew about us was that like Terraform Labs was an investor, right? In our parent company you could easily connect those dots and say like, well, this is just a page shield PR thing to do. And it's like, again, I totally can see where that view came from. Granted, let's just be clear that like the only reason anyone knew that in the first place was because coinage disclosed that. And that's like journalistically what you have to do. Of course, it opens us up to kind of like uh, other people being, you know, critical of that and saying like, oh, no one should believe this interview because this is like they're in the pocket of Terraform, which again is totally not true seeing as we've raised from a lot of different people. That's just one. And we wanted to disclose it because again, that's what you have to do when you're telling these stories like ethically. So yes, it would have been easier for us to just not disclose that and go about it and tell the story. And probably no one would ever find out, you know, but like, I don't want to do that. I can't sleep at night doing that. And like journalistically, that's not what you do. And it's a big no, no. So, you know, we had to be transparent. We wanted to tell everybody. And so we did do that um, in your in your question about NFTs and like what coinage is trying to do. What has been interesting is like <laughs> the claims of bias are exactly why we started coinage. Right. So just for people who don't know right now, we're in this kind of thing where you can mint a free NFT to watch our stuff behind the token gate. So, you know, no ads. It's a very long interview. It's 40 minutes and 48 minutes basically, well, 30 and 48. And there's going to be ads on YouTube if you're watching anything that long, but some people don't want ads. So we're going to give them this free NFT. They can come to our site and watch our content there behind the token gate. And like, that's a new interesting model. But the other thing that we're doing is right now we're minting these network NFTs, which to your point are one ETH. And what we're doing there is we're trying to bring together a community of differing views, right? So we started with some of our investors in our parent company, SBF, Sam Bankman fried John Wu from Avalanche, Megan Casper, who's a big fan of ETH. And so like when you think about those things, you've got basically three crypto communities, their leaders, I'm not saying Megan Casper is a leader of ETH by any means, but she's really smart and in, in that community. And you basically bring them together and you have this conflict, right? You have conflict of interest, which is good. It drives us as a show as coinage to listen to all viewpoints and research a story with the help of those people as well. And basically take that and make it an even better show. So like for this, we wanted to do that with the uh, Doquan interview. We would have loved to have 
our subscribers kind of come in and, and weigh in and say, hey, this is what you should ask in this interview. And the research would have been way better because if you think back to April when SBF was like kind of critical of the Terra project, you know, uh, if Doe was a coinage NFT holder, which to be clear, he is not. So coinage itself has no direct kind of like there is no line drawn there in terms of no connection there between Doquan and coinage. Like there's no editorial impact in that in that front. But like if you think about what this could have done, like we were already working on a story about Terra, actually. And this is what something, you know, this is something a lot of people don't know. Like Coinage was doing the research and talking about what could happen with Terra. And you were talking about this too, Donk, who you were flagging like the anchor reserves were dwindling down. They're going to need to re-up it. And I was thinking about like, uh oh, that doesn't look good. There's a potential problem with like LFG getting built up. Like that could cause panic because everyone's like, why do you need that? And so we were already working and had an interview lined up back in May, early May. Um, is when I was trying to line up an interview with Doe and we were planning that out actually. And it was set to be the week of the crash. And so like, we were already trying to like use this model of like bring <laughs> no together. Yeah. So we got, I got scooped basically. If you think about how hard that week was for me and I know a lot of people lost money in this, you know, it's not life savings for me. I don't think it was for you either, but like that week sucked because like this project went to zero. It was one of like, you know, it would have been a, a rallying cry, like a real good thing to say we were attached to Terraform before the crash, obviously not so good after. Um, and so, you know, that week sucked for a lot of reasons. But again, like Coindesk asked this week when I went on an interview with them, like, do you regret covering Terra? And we can talk about this um, as far as like, you know, you've covered a lot of Terra stuff in the past, but it's like, no, I don't regret it because I met you. I met a lot of people in DeFi. I was always upfront about the risks of an algorithmic stable coin. And we get into that kind of in this part two interview where it's like, Doe, how, how much should you have warned retail investors about this stuff, right? Like, is that on you? Is it on the exchanges like a Gemini or Binance that's not telling people the risks are not similar to USDC and Tether? There's a lot of stuff there. But anyways, just to wrap it all up, the NFT basically lets you co-own the show with us. It's a new model. It's invite only right now. We started with like SBF, John Wu, Megan, and a couple other investors, and they get to invite people. Those people then get to invite people. It's an invite chain meant to build decentralization around who owns this show and who enjoys and kind of the upside as it grows, right? In terms of like weighing in on what this show covers. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool experiment, but I do want to go back to kind of what you were talking about because I'm sure there's a lot of people in here who haven't listened to part two of this interview. And we were talking about exactly that point around community, right? And like what that means. And I just want to explore a couple things with you on like what we think about community. Cause you mentioned like buying into the mission of decentralized money. Um, and you know, it sucked a lot of money in from a lot of quote unquote believers as Do Kwan describes them. Um, and then he talks about like why he doesn't really care about maybe potentially a mole, which we can also get into, but also someone attacking this peg to bring down UST and Terra with it. And he just says, like, it's easier for me to classify that as business and move on, which I think sparks a lot of anger, too, in this from anyone who lost money and really supported the mission to see someone come along and crush it. So I just want to play this clip uh, from the interview real quick and then get your take on the other side. Take a listen. I think crypto is unique in the sense that it's converted more of its passive investor base into, into, people, believer. into believers, into people that are actually can be, can be called out to action to serve the community in more ways than capital. And I think that's what makes it strong. But that's the thing that also I feel like would piss off anyone who believed in your mission and felt like they were a part of that mission. And you're saying that you don't have an emotional response to that. 
which me and sometimes I, 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 I did not say that I don't have an emotional response. I'm just saying that I've tried to make a calm-headed decision um, to categorize this as business and to move on to other things. So, Daku, when we're talking about that and like categorizing this as business, he's talking about you know the DPEG and the fact that anyone could have seen the three pool to four pool migration as like a time to attack. And to be clear, the reason why we didn't really cover a mole on that front is because like whether or not there was one, anyone would have been able to see that data on chain, right? So like that was there. Um, but curious to kind of get your take around that in terms of like classifying it just as business. Yeah, I mean, in the end, maybe you could say that that's why we also believe in decentralized finance, right? There is basically nobody saving uh, you from if something goes wrong. Uh, it's all open. Everybody can actively uh, make the decision that they think is right, be it being long or short on a uh, specific asset. Um, yeah, I mean, it, of course it hurts at the same time because um, what he describes in the first part of his uh, take right now that you played is exactly what drove me into this, right? I uh, In 2020, I was also not yet in crypto and DeFi as a whole, but uh, this was so special, what was built specifically in the Terra ecosystem, but DeFi as a whole, which got me so interested that I could not think about anything else anymore. And I said, let me do this or try this as a general take for my life as maybe a career. And then um, narrowing it down to that the community makes it special, but at the same time saying it's only business, I can see why people are then a little bit maybe confused uh, by the take here at the same time. But it is true, right? Um, in the end, you cannot, um, I don't know, blame anybody for if he sees a weakness in the system um, to also take advantage of this. And I think that's what Dokwan says several times in the interview, right? That first of all, he says he's responsible by having created weaknesses in the system. Um, and he takes that responsibility. But now we, of course, uh, need to take all our learnings um, out of this. Yeah, it's, I don't even really know uh, what to say or if my answer makes any sense to you. But it's like, I, I mean, I've talked to him once before. I, I know that he is, that's why he created even this behemoth in the first place, right? A very objective and genius person itself. If not, we would all not have been here around, right? And believed in the system. At the same time, of course it hurts um, because you're also trying to later on in the interview, right? Trying to get him to, did you try to figure out who it was, right? Because somebody was draw stuff. And as you said, you can see it on chain. Um, we ourselves, because I see my friends Dyke Capital, which I'm running the validators on, we did also some on-chain analysis trying to see who moved money when and how much to understand if it was like one player or not. But um, yeah, I, I think if you go that rabbit hole down, you probably will never, as he said, um, come out of this and move forward. So I, I get where he's coming from, from a personal perspective and saying, I need to close this to push forward. Now the question yes. is, Will he push forward, right? And that's where Terra Two comes in. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. Yeah, and it's you know the other obvious question there is like you can push forward, but it's like if there's no community left or nobody trusts Luna Two anymore, like how are you going to do that? So we ask about him kind of rebuilding trust. But to your point on kind of, I don't know. To me, and you can kind of see this at the end of the part two of the interview is like to me it kind of seemed inconsistent a little bit with like the logic, right? Like you said, he's accepting blame. He says he and he alone is responsible for this, right? But he also uses the jungle metaphor to point to like, look, markets are irrational or, or markets are rational and emotionless. Like that's just what's going to happen. If someone sees an opportunity, I can't blame them. They're going to take down our project. So be it. But that kind of seems a little inconsistent when you think about the community point, right? And like, 
why people invested in this and why Tara grew so big was that it was very much based on the emotional decision of, as he says, the higher moral calling of like supporting a project that was needed in crypto and creating decentralized money. So it's like, okay, all those points can't be true if you're really just going to like look at it that way, put the blame on yourself, say it's, you know, emotionless, but then also make the point that it is very much based on emotion. So I just want to play that part of the interview too. Uh, I just want to play this part and get your take on the other side. This one's a little bit long. It's a minute long clip, but I think that it's pretty important because it's the point that confused me the most. Have you heard the analogy of the market being a jungle? Yeah, but it's, it's people. Like you just said, it's people believing in certain things and, you know, there's the downside beyond just numbers on the screen. It's people. Right? I mean, I guess at the same time, you could flip that and say, all right, you're building this thing up. You're sucking people's money in. It's like, it's just a jungle. It could be a way to look at it and say, you know, it wasn't my fault. But you also believe that there was some blame that should be put on your shoulders. So it just seems kind of like looking at it as it's a jungle when someone attacks Terra, but also you're saying that some of this is your fault too. So that kind of seems inconsistent. Interesting philosophical discussion. Um, I think there's aspects of the, to this where participants are humans. I think there's aspects to this where we're beasts. Um, <laughs> interesting discussion. Yeah, so don't do that one. <laughs> No answer at all. <laughs> but you, you pointed this out to me before the interview. It's kind of like a thing. And we can get into kind of like the, the backstory of how that all came together. But like, you're right. Like, he does pause a lot. Like, just long pauses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think that that's for me uh, the point where I always said the, is this now the, I don't know, right? I mean, I don't know it as a person. I just talked to him once, uh, as I said before. But is it the real Doquan or is it the media Doquan? And um, that's where I had a feeling that, yeah, this was right now the real Doquan trying to, as I said, I don't know him too much as a person, uh, at least giving there's some insights what he truly believes in. But, you know, uh, as you said, it may be inconsistent and it kind of makes no sense. But at the same time, um, that's where also I'm driving to in general, right? When, when I talk to people uh, here in, let's say, my private realm, and uh, I talk to people that have nothing to do with crypto, they always say like, oh, so you're a trader, right? You're uh, speculating on this. And I said, no, I literally, I never traded actively in my life. I don't do leverage longs, whatever. I'm just here because I think maybe coming from the um, cyber funk still with what Bitcoin meant to them, and it's more than just money. Well, it expresses always only in that numbers and money. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. um, it, it is that weird stuff that I think crypto uh, has a lot of attraction for people that come in because they see it, they can make money, but then they stay because they see uh, amazing opportunities that are more than just money. But in the end, it just all narrows down again to money. <laughs> so no, that's kind of that weird stuff. It's very, it's very true. And to your point, I guess I'm like, which Doquan is it, right? Is it the Doquan that's like taking the advice of lawyers? There is a really good write-up, actually. I see them in the spaces right now. Blockwords uh, put together a pretty good reflection on like what questions I was trying to ask and what, you know, normally in these interviews, there's a lot of like prep on the other side, right? So PR firms will be very heavy handed in like, you can't ask this, you can't ask that. We want our client to look this way in terms of like appearances. 
Um, or they'll be in the room basically ready to like pounce if you ask a question that's like too deep cutting or like framing them in a certain way they don't like. And just to be clear and, and present all this, like, you know, I've interviewed Doe probably four times at Yahoo, and this is the first time for Coinage. Um, there was no like back and forth before this interview about like what's off limits or what is not, you know, off the record, whatever. It was just straight up. Doe reached out and said, yeah, we will we'll do this interview, um, which, again, I think he said yes, because. I understood the Terra project because I listened to people like you and others in the community um, and knew specifically like kind of how it worked. Um, but there was no like PR presence in the room. His comms team wasn't even there. The interview was in the office and it was literally just Doe <laughs> sat down and it was just us in the room. And so it was like, to his credit, if like all this was, was just like, I want to set the facts straight. You know, there was no special treatment around like, anything and this was no different than the interview um i've conducted before like at yahoo so like just want to put that out there because i think that that's kind of one question that a lot of people have and so you're right like when when we're interviewing him like sometimes you can tell he's a lot more calculated with kind of like i'm sure the lawyers have said answer this this way be careful about that be careful about what you talk about when it comes to like what prosecutors might be using some of this or your answers against you for maybe like yes and that was part of like what we tried to do in the interview to get him to open up a little bit. Right. And that's like kind of what an interview is all about is like, you can't just come at someone with accusations nonstop. You're not going to get anything out of them. Like you just want them to talk and kind of reveal what they know and when they knew it. So you can kind of get the answers that I think everyone wanted. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, as said, even if you say it, I mean, I, I know you, I met you in Barcelona. Um, I have a huge respect for what you're doing here and then I'll trust that. But there will be always still people out there that still say, well, he still had his lawyers out there. It was still, you know what I mean? <laughs> Quote unquote, all set up. So, um, and I guess that's also a tough thing to do right now in this space that people, if they want to be bearish, they are bearish. Um, I don't know. How, how have you been in the last days, right? I guess you have seen a lot of takes out there. don't know if you even want to talk about this, but uh, what did it do to you? right? As a person, I mean, I'm just interested as a person myself uh, and knowing how tough this is and how much work you even put to get him into the position to talk to him and then finally talk to him. I, I don't know, right? This, this, did this something to you? Did it change the way forward? Or do you say it's business literally after talking now uh, and listening to him saying it's business? Yeah. I mean, no, for us, obviously, you know, this isn't, this is our first story. It's not our only story. So we're already focused on like growing our community, bringing in super smart people who want to build this with us. Um, and you're one of them, you know, we're, we're hoping to have you mint by next week and bring in a lot of other people to follow to help build this with us. But like, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not surprised, you know, anytime you're a new thing, no one knows what you're about. Like I totally get why, um, there could be that question of trust. And like, that's what we encourage. Like one of the models we've been joking around with internally at Coinage is like, trust nobody, right? Like that's part of DeFi. It's like literally do not trust anyone. People get rugged all the time. So like what we're trying to do is like, don't trust us. Like we're bringing in these people with conflicting views who will help us research some of these stories, figure out what questions are good and figure out really what stories are even important enough to highlight. You know, we got to start somewhere, though. So, like, we put together a list of stories we think was important. And Tara, obviously, as I said before, was high on my list, just given the fact that it was either going to be the biggest success or biggest failure, because, like, algorithmic stable coins are either at a dollar and deliver on what they promise, or they go to zero. There is no, like, in-between, right? It's, like, one or the other. And so, to me, it wasn't really hard to see Tara is going to be the biggest story. We just don't know when, right? And, like, 
as someone who put money into UST and Luna, that was always in the back of my head. And I'm sure anyone who put their money in, actually, that's not fair. Not anybody, because I think there's a lot of people who just didn't even know that UST was very different than USDC and Tether. Like, this is a very different beast. And we, we cover that in the second part of the interview is like, who deserves the blame for maybe retail investors not knowing all that, right? Because like in DeFi, we say, do your own research all the time. But a lot of people just don't do that. They see a 20% interest yield and they're going to say, I want that in an environment where I can only get like less than 1%. I'm going to put my money in that. I'm going to be rich, which, you know, it's a difficult thing to look yourself in the mirror and maybe accept that, huh, maybe I should have been aware of some of those risks because of course, nothing can be that guaranteed, right? Like you and I knew how Anchor worked and how the yield reserve worked. And like, we talked openly about like, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't sustainable. Things need to be tweaked. But like a lot of people who got sucked into this did not. And so I asked you about that too. And that was pretty high up on our list of questions. But like, to your point on like, I don't know, getting attacked for kind of this, again, I think it came down to a misunderstanding of stuff in terms of like, if you only saw part one and didn't know part two was coming, I would feel the same exact way. I'd be like, what the hell? You didn't ask anything. Now, as far as like the bias, ask, like the attacks there, I would expect it maybe from, you know, a guy in the ecosystem who's been trying to like build up a following kind of, uh, you know, representing a class action lawsuit right now and against Terraform and Doe to kind of use anything to discredit a show or an interview or anything like that. And so like, I wasn't surprised to see that. Obviously, an anonymous account can say whatever they want and they're not like journalists on the record. What was kind of surprising to see is like the press wave also hopping on and giving as much credit to someone like that as us. And like, again, no fault. People don't know me. People don't know Coinage and like what we're all about. So like, obviously it takes time to build up trust, um, which is kind of the irony in like covering a Terra and like where trust went from 100% to zero basically overnight. You know, it takes time to build that trust up. And so, you know, with our next stories and anything else we do, like we're looking forward to earning our community's trust and our audience's trust. Like, yeah, I don't expect, I didn't expect to have that trust. And I guess it was kind of, you know, something we could have been more clear about up front in terms of like, yeah, this part two is always going to be coming. But to see other journalists like talk about like, oh, Coinage only got this interview because Terraform Labs invested in uh, Coinage's parent company. Like that to me is maybe also not surprising, right? Like I've been scooped before and it's kind of easy to just be like, yeah, that's the only reason. But the thing that I think is important in crypto journalism is like, you kind of have to create these relationships with people, right? And like, that's any interview. Like, if you think about where Doe's head was at, he had death threats, people were knocking on his door. Uh, the press at the time was just basically like, this is just a big Ponzi. And to be clear, it may still be a very big Ponzi, but at least it was like uh, a complicated Ponzi, if you want to call it one. There were all these intricacies that like made it kind of, is this a Ponzi? Is this not a Ponzi? Which is what we discussed in like part one of uh our piece but like you know i think for him he just wanted to have someone who understood the project interview him so he can kind of address this stuff and so again we made no promises to him around like what we would ask and there was no like here's what we're gonna ask ahead of the interview it was conducted in a way that was like totally like any other interview i've ever done um in being pretty harsh and straight to the point i think in terms of like the facts as he sees them around all this stuff and, you know, a lot of other influencers out there on YouTube are like, why would Doe go with them? And obviously, maybe it's just bias is like what they were saying. But it's like, 
I heard one guy uh, kind of laughed at this. He's like, he could have gone to 60 Minutes or he could have gone to the New York Times or he could have gone to CNN to tell this story. And it's like, do you really think that 60 Minutes is going to ask about the three pool to four pool migration <laughs> or like anchors yield reserve? Like, you know, I don't know if they would have gone that deep. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that we did well. But again, like the one thing I kind of regret is just not being upfront that like all of this stuff was going to come in part two. Um, but, you know, we had to be true to our brand and kind of present it in a way that anyone coming to the story, like my mom, my dad, anybody who's not a D-Gen would also understand what's going on. And I think if you watch part one, you understand what he's talking about in part two a lot better. And so that's like kind of what we were trying to do. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it was a good first start. A lot of people have now heard the name of Coinage. They hear what we're trying to do. We've had a lot of interest now in terms of people hitting us up for invites to Mint and NFTs that will co on the show. And so, like, yeah, there's no perfect way to launch, no perfect way to roll out. But, like, we did everything that, like, was true to us in terms of disclosing things, even though we were going to get attacked for that. And, like, things can be spun. But, like, I think a lot of people are looking at us now. And it's a new model for media. And to be honest, Donku, like, I took a lot of stuff from you in terms of like how you can build a new model and how creators can build a new model around NFTs and, you know, staking and things like that. So it's like, yeah, anytime something new out, anytime something new comes around, it's kind of hard for people to wrap their heads around. And I think, you know, it'll take a little bit of time before people realize what we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, as you, you took probably the hottest topic by far out there, uh, which makes sense, right? Because you want attention. But at the same time, no surprise that there's a backlash as the emotions. I mean, if we take a look at the markets right now, no good <laughs> to say it that way. No surprise, right? And specifically with the whole Luna topic. But it was crazy. And I was very happy to see, I think, your tweet or you announced this had like, I don't know, 10,000 likes at the end or basically clicking on, on the hard button on Twitter, which is amazing, right? And I think uh, that's cool. Another thing which um, I appreciate, unless you tell me now it's different, Your NFT doesn't have any image, does it? Right? I think you just mint it as a true token. Any image? No, there is an image. It's just really hard to see on MetaMask sometimes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, it's, uh, if you're on TrustWallet or any other ones, it shows up. Or MetaMask Mobile. But no, there is an image. Okay. Yeah, because, um, yeah, I mean, if there's a small image, but it's not the focus. I think because if people hear right now the topic of NFT, it's all still about pictures, but you're trying to do something different. And I mean, If I have contributed in some way to just find uh, new income streams for content creators, uh, cool. <laughs> uh, I exactly. mean, we're also trying uh, our best thing with the validator and just uh, not a self-plug, but just a big thank you because, uh, yeah, I'm very proud that we're running right now with Dyke. I think it's nine different nodes on on uh, on the main nets, on the different ones. Uh, we just added right now Injective. Also, shout out to the Injective Labs team that helped us. And, uh, yeah, that's one model. And then hopefully yours works as well. So I don't know if you want to talk about it, but maybe talking quickly about the model, how do you plan this long term? So is your company basically then bootstrapping over the one ETH NFT topic about the funding or do you have already plans to monetize this? Because that's what you need, right? You will be a content creator, you will be a Web3 specific one. Don't know if you have something to share here in general. I would just be interested myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I wanted to open up questions for more, you know, on the piece too, after this, because that's what I think a lot of people might have and want to answer those questions too. But yeah, just to give backstory in terms of like this model, it's, it's really interesting just because like the reason why I was drawn into crypto is all about aligning incentives, right? Um, 
and like not having to trust anybody. And so when you think about like media and what that means, particularly like, you know, bias in media, as this week proved, like is going to be there. Accusations of bias are always going to be there. And that's been happening in mainstream media for like what, since Trump came around, even before that. And so like, how do you remove the perception of bias amongst the crowd? Like, how do you say this is true journalism or true coming from the show? It's like you need a decentralized ownership model where it's like not just a billionaire um, running the company and saying what it should say. Right. Um, But if you can get them, multiple billionaires would be good. So, I mean, we have SBF as kind of the start and then we build out from there. you know, a bunch of other people. And I don't want to have control over that. I don't want to say like who can join this thing, right? I've seen that in a lot of NFT mints where it's like only the creator gets to say who gets an invite or who can mint, or it's just like a, you know, whoever gets there first. Like we're trying to attract really smart partners for us um, in terms of like sourcing stories, researching stories, and people who also just kind of have a passion for like education, which I think you do. And like anyone who wants to have a show where they're like, you know, they can present clips or the show from, you know, perspective of like, I get hit up all the time from people who don't know anything about crypto being like, Hey, how do I learn more? Or like, what was Tara all about? It's like, (laughs) I don't want to tell the same story like 25 different times. So honestly, that's where it came from was like, let's just create a show that like all the really smart people in crypto can share with their like non-native friends and explain from start to finish in a like simplified way, like what what the hell is really going on? And so, yeah, as far as like the models go and, and aligning incentives, like traditional media has ads. Ads are a terrible user experience in terms of like what you're trying to do. The audience comes and it downgrades the product you're presenting in front of your viewer. And like, really, if you think about what journalism is, it's really just like you're selling trust, right? It's your reputation. That's all that matters at the end of the day. And so it's a really corny term when I'm thinking about this business model, but I've been using like trust as a service is how I look at it. And so like, yeah, people come to trust the coinage name. NFTs have been like assigning value to all kinds of different, like really hard to quantify monetary and economic pieces, right? And trust is huge in journalism and a lot of different industries. As we saw with Terra, like the whole reason Terra collapsed and why UST depegged is because like people stopped believing that UST was worth a dollar, right? It was just like everyone in the ecosystem sold out, started to sell at 98 cents, started to sell at 95 cents, and it just went down and down and down, right? And so, like, clearly trust matters, whether it's the economy, whether it's algorithmic stable coins, whether it's media. So, like, this is just a new model to look at trust in a different way. And so, you know, we're experimenting with a lot of different things in the NFT. But to your point, it's not just like profile pictures and it's not just an image. We're trying to go about this in a legal way. So we've set co- uh, we've set coinage up kind of we're working through the co-op DAO model right now for like what it means to buy an NFT in a show like this, it's going to be half owned by our parent company and half owned by, you know, people who buy these NFTs and really create a community-based show um, that kind of unlocks membership into a DAO co-op that kind of helps us run this, right? So it's like, we're all in this together. We're trying to put out the best show, help us with the content, help with sourcing, help with research, tell us what to cover. And it's really, I guess, kind of like a new kind of cool experiment and it's just starting and we put out our first thing. To your point, like, would this have been our ideal first story to tell when, like, we could be attacked for bias and stuff like that? Like, no. But at the same time, we got this interview. And what are we to do? Just sit on it? Like, there's so many questions. And so if Joe agrees, like, we got to lead with it, even though this was not the plan, because, you know, obviously, we wouldn't want to lead with that. But you do what you got to do, you know? And so that's kind of what happened. Let me ask you there. So, I mean, 
the first one you'll probably don't answer, but I need to uh, kind of put the question out. Do you know already which one will be the next topic? And then secondly, it's like, will it always be this format in terms of a documentation? And then is it like once a month or every other week? I don't know if you have already more clarity on your side where you wanted to take this. We're trying to scale up to the point where we can kind of be like the last week tonight for crypto, but also mix in with like a meet the press for crypto, but also mixed in like a Nathan for you for crypto. <laughs> so there's a lot of different things we want the show to be. We want to let our community weigh in on what they think will be best. Um, but yeah, we're trying to scale this to the point where it's like, okay, a lot of the research can be done by people who are in the community. So like you can join our discord right now. And if you have a network NFT, like you will Donku, I hope uh, you can join that specific token gated group in the discord. So that's SBF and John Wu and a lot of other people kind of talking about what the biggest stories in crypto are. So like we want to get to a point where it's like we have way less control around what we cover. Um, and a lot of the research that goes into this is on the community as well. And so hopefully we get to that point for now. We're just trying to do kind of like, episodes periodically as we can produce them and like again we were waiting until the fall we were supposed to put out our first if anyone goes to coinage.media you can read the roadmap it's like our first episode was supposed to come out in the fall but this happened and it's like we got to get out here and do this so like we pulled this forward and we just put it together we're also a team of like only six people so like you know we had like my editor basically dropped everything when doe said we could do this he's a dad right and it's like let's go to singapore and he didn't have his passport so like you know we had a lot of things to get done to tell this story and we're only a team of six. And so like, yeah, the other thing too was like we pulled three all-nighters trying to get this out here. And like, I was extremely like, this is my reputation on the line too, right? So like, I wanted everything to be perfect. Um, and you know, you strive to be perfect, you really can't. I didn't think about all the anger pent up around Do Kwan and all this. And I probably should have done a better job around like, yes, making it clear that part two is coming. And that's like, that's something that I beat myself up for, but you know, you do what you can in these situations. And I really do think, you know, this is just the beginning. We're not perfect. We want to bring in people who like are better at us than like all kinds of things, right? We want to bring in people who are experts, not just in Terra, but like in Cardano, in Ethereum, in everything that's going on in crypto and build this with us. So that's kind of the plan. Um, but eventually we want to get to the point of where we can make an episode each week. But it's really hard to do that in terms of like the production value. And that was the other thing that we tried to show is that like, we're not just going to be talking heads. We're going to be like, heavy research, heavy narrative focus in crypto, like more than just kind of what's out there right now. And that's kind of the role that we want to play in this ecosystem. Um, nice. Uh, let me just quickly add there. Um, I had to laugh while you were saying with the mint. And first of all, big thank you that I can't even, or that you put me in the position to be able to mint. Um, I was just texting in the meantime, uh, kind of uh, one of my, uh, let's say income streams because I want to mint it with my company, right? Because it truly means a lot to me that I get the opportunity as well. And uh, today I was just thinking of, oh, screw it, I just paid myself. But then I said, no, I, I want to put it in my company. And yesterday I called my tax consultant, right? Um, because uh, I texted him on WhatsApp. Uh, it's like, yeah, I have an NFT, I need to mint. But right now uh, my company doesn't have anything on chain. I cannot put it so quickly there because Kraken doesn't allow it in Germany. Uh, to use it with credit card. Uh, what do I do? And then he says, what is an NFT? <laughs> he kind of, it's like, I, I don't get it. So is this like something that you invest in, like a stock and you can say something? Do we need to be careful here? And then kind of, uh, do you want to make it with the company because you need to hold it a year before you can sell it? And I said, I don't want to sell it, but you know, I, I want to do this and I want to put it in the company. And I said, hmm, yeah, so, okay. 
well, maybe just wait before you get something again on this on-chain stuff, and then you maybe just buy it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, We're so it, far away here in Germany. It's so, it's so I mean, funny. We had, the same, we had the same problems on our end, right? It's like we had to talk to a tax expert, then we had to talk to, like, someone else who's a co-op expert, then we had to talk to someone who's a DAO expert, and it's like, you know, it's really hard to put this together in a legal way, and I think we're doing it the right way. Um and you know that's again just kind of like <laughs> when you're doing something that no one really understands but like can see the need for it like it's it's been a very interesting process through all this but um but yeah i don't know should we open it up to questions maybe right now outside of like who who might have questions uh you know you can raise your hands i don't know is there anything else donku that you like you wanted to flag in terms of questions you had from the interview itself how it came about things that you noticed is interesting in all this or just kind of like where your head's at as we move on past Terra to look at like all the other things out there. Uh, no, I mean, it's a big thank you, right? I think that's what we always quickly forgot. I mean, you, as you said, you put yourself in a position uh, also with your name to making this interview. You approached him, uh, you made it happen and you at least gave me again some insights that I also wanted to hear, right? While the first interview was maybe not that degen like of a question, the second for sure was. So just a big thank you, right? And uh, I'm looking forward to whatever you're doing. I mean, uh, you didn't mention it by name and I respect that, that some people maybe put a question mark and that's just part of the game, right? Um, and I think it's, it's not easy for nobody uh, right now out there, but it's cool to have people invested like you. So I'm looking forward to whatever's coming next. And um, yeah, happy to hear questions from the audience and to you, to me. I mean, I'm happy to just stay around. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you stick around? Because I think a lot of the questions that may have come up um, could be around things that we didn't necessarily have time to cover in the piece or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that were inside the weeds. You got to keep in mind, like you only have a certain amount of time when you're kind of doing these interviews to hit on what exactly is the most important stuff. Right. And it's like, how are you going to dig into all this stuff in the amount of time you have? And like, how are you going to set up questions to probe? in the things that are worthwhile in chasing, right? And so it's like, there are a lot of questions that I wish I had time to ask, but just like, you know, when you only have so much time, you just can't get to them. And stuff too that like, you know, we could have included in the piece, but it's just like, how deep are we really going here? And so that's like another thing that we're grappling with. And so, you know, that's why I kind of wanted to set up the spaces too, is just like, if there are other questions out there, and especially having you along with me, it's like, you know, you know a lot more about DeFi than I do. Uh, I've tried to keep up. It's very difficult. But anyways, let's open it up to questions here a little bit here. I see Coleman has one. He's requested. Um, let's bring you up for that. I think he's he's being brought up here. You can unmute yourself and, and hit us with it. Hi, how's it going, guys? How are you both doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, no worries. Um, good to speak to you. Thank you. Uh, how you doing, mate? How's it going? <laughs> Hey, sir. It feels like we are one year younger again. That easy. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Quite a ride. Quite a ride. Um, I just wanted to know, Zach, a um, couple of questions I had was, um, I mean, myself and Danku, Danku we, we go back a long way. I've, I've been invested in Terra. I'm a builder on the, you know, within the space for since the beginning, I would say. And um, I would say that um, I think a lot of people are kind of wondering why perhaps you didn't sort of hit Doe directly with, uh, you know, after the event happened, um, he tweeted out, you know, about that, you know, steady lads deploying collateral. And then there was like, and I know you did mention that, but 
And I think like when he tweeted out, particularly after the event as well, that, you know, we're going to, you know, compensate all of you, all of you that had UST tied up within Anchor at that point, you'll be compensated in. And then it was like, oh, what, you know, what's going to happen? And, there, you know, myself, not I have to say, you know, myself not included, I accept my, you know, I, I wasn't, I'm not expecting compensation at all. You know, I, I fully take responsibility for my choice of my investment. But there was a lot of people and a lot of kickback at that point saying like well you know you said you were going to compensate us with usdc or usdt at that point and that just never that was never spoken about again after that after the fact and i just thought that was a point if i you know in your position at that point i perhaps would have said to him well you know these were your words at that time you you reached out to the community and said yeah we will be compensating you it will be in usdc usdt yeah um let me just ask real quick. Did you watch the second part? Because uh, that is one of the things that like I'm struggling with in terms of like, I, I wish we're probably gonna have to pay to like make sure people like see that there is a second part. But in that second part, um, you know, we chatted about like, what are your, what are your plans with the LFG reserves? Because that was the last thing that they tweeted basically back in May around like what they're planning on doing to compensate UST holders and all this. And like, yes, I agree. Like, you know, it's not an either or in terms of like where the blame should fall on like all of our shoulders for investing in this. But obviously, I think there's a bit more blame on the side of like Luna holders, like we're accepting the volatility and the speculation in that. So like, obviously, it's a little bit different if you're holding Luna versus UST. Um, on the UST side, though, like that's their plan around using what's left of the LFG reserves to give that back to people were impacted. And so in part two, Doe kind of walks through the plan there around like compensating smallest wallet holders first and kind of every week moving forward with that and saying like, okay, now the wallet uh, level is like if you held, I don't know, just using numbers, like a thousand UST. And like now you can claim against the LFG reserves that are left and like, okay, now it's like wallet sizes that were like $2,000 and $3,000 and four. And so like larger and larger with the thinking of like, yes, we're trying to minimize the pain is the way that he described it around like people who lost money in UST. And so like, again, there's a lot of logical decisions, I think, that are being made that like from an objective standpoint is showing that like they're thinking about this. And that's what the first part was kind of about is like, if you were a scammer, I don't think you would care as much to like try and battle back. At least this is my personal take on like things. And again, we just wanted to present this in a way that like anyone could look at it and make their own call and like whether or not you trust Oquan and like after the fact is very different than like setting this up knowing full well like some of the problems that could collapse all this stuff too just want to be clear about that but like that is one thing that we pressed for and I think we got answers there Chris Amani who's on Twitter is also like kind of releasing updates as well around like what this looks like for compensation and like the tricky part is they're dealing with a lot of centralized exchanges in this too right so like they don't have direct access in those cases for like who held UST at the time of the DPEG so it's taking time to like get the data for like who will get compensated, but even highlighting it as like compensation is a little bit murky because I don't know what the wallet sizes of that's going to look like, right? So like it could just be anything about how much money they they say they have like two hundred million dollars left in the LFG reserves. That's not a lot of money to if you think about how much was outstanding in UST, right? At the time of collapse, so I mean we're talking like there was sixteen billion in anchor alone, right? So it's like. Uh, I'm not sure how much 200 million is going to really do, but it is like something, I guess, that's being done. And so, yeah, we we asked about that. Yeah, that's cool. I, I did watch part two, now and I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I appreciate that answer. I've got one more question, just regarding the what you feel about the lack of um, kind of 
uh, noise being made by the seed round investors in Terra because when everything kind of fell apart and you know and certainly now while the dust has settled somewhat I would have expected a lot more information coming through from the likes of not information necessarily but feedback and you know uh, Novogratz people like that you know uh, certainly uh, coin, even Coinbase Ventures I think were invested in seed round in Terra you know People like this, they don't seem to be that vocal at this point. I'm not seeing anything at all in on, on Twitter from any of those kind of high profile early investors. And yeah. it just makes me kind of think, you know, where are these people who invested all of those hundreds of millions and were singing those praises and getting tattoos on their bodies, you know, you know, all hell Luna. And yeah. suddenly they just kind of disappeared in the shadows. Where, where are those guys now? No, I think that that is a phenomenal question, because honestly, to me, that is like, why I wanted to quit Yahoo and start Coinage. Like I had a really good job. I had a cushy job. I was an anchor at Yahoo. It was a great job. Got to talk to a lot of great people. That's how I like met Mike Novogratz in the first place, had him on the show. And like, if you think about anything around the models of some of these things, right? Like a CNBC talking stocks with retail investors, like there's always this back and forth between like smart money and dumb money as it's called. Right. And so like, I'd be curious to get Donku's take on this too, because like, what we do in trying to present really smart content and educating the public around all this stuff is like the model set up to where hedge funds basically, you know, trade against dumb money. They see opportunities. They're supposedly a lot smarter than all these people. And if you think about like what happened with um, GameStop and AMC last year, right? It's like that was huge in terms of markets because it was like a groundswell of retail investors coming together and taking down a huge hedge fund that was short GameStop, right? And so like they crushed them and they won. And it was like wild to see that play out. And when I think about crypto, it's like everyone talks about like, oh yeah, crypto is so cool. It's like, you know, decentralized finance, the little guys come together and like can do so much. And like, yes, that's true in like the, like the world we all want to see built if like everyone knows what's going on. And so like, that's why I credit Donku so much for like creating really, really smart content is because like that only works if everyone knows what's going on and works together. Like it only works if community is made as strong as possible. So like coinage could have been something that was like internal to an FTX, right? Or like internal to any exchange. And it could have just been content that we put out, but it wouldn't have been owned by the community. And it wouldn't have like tried to tackle, I think, some of the larger questions around this. And so when you raise up, when you raise Mike Novogratz, like the reason why we put him in the first spot and probably could have like, you know, added a little bit more about the tattoo stuff is because, yes, he was a very loud, like, look at what Luna's trying to do. Even in April, Bitcoin Miami was talking about like, this is a huge project. And, you know, to his credit, he did flag like it's still potential uh, risks in a bank run. Like that could happen, as we highlighted in the piece. And then immediately there was a bank run. But like, if you go back and look at Galaxy Digital and them cashing out, like in Q1, since they're a publicly traded company, you would see that they made a lot of money by selling Luna tokens, right? And so like, there is an aspect of that, that like me in the wake of all this was like extremely depressed. Like, I haven't told many people this, but like in the wake of this collapse, like I was depressed, right? Like in the piece you saw my co-founder had a family friend who killed himself. Like there were suicides. Donku and I were like talking in spaces with a lot of people who were contemplating suicide. Like I lost a lot of money. It's, it was terrible and it was rough. And to think that like all of this was just because hedge funds or like someone who attacked this, like wanted to make some money, like it sucked, right? And it's like, yes, I understand what Doquan's saying around like markets are rational. You should have known about this. Like I was even coming around to the fact that like, oh wow, like anyone can take this peg down. And like, that was a scary thing. And like, I was already thinking about like, maybe I should protect myself by shorting this and hedge my bets. And like a hedge fund, is its job is to be emotionless, right? And so like 
they don't have to struggle with that. But like on an individual basis, like if this is all about like community working together, like you're stuck, like you can't short it because you're already bought in. You believe in this community. You believe in this stuff. So like I couldn't bring myself to do it. I did the math. I probably could have made like $250,000 in a day if I wanted to short this thing because like I was already aware of the risks. And if you've seen stable coins fail before in a death spiral, if it's at 60 cents, as I raised in the piece in part two, it's likely that it's going to go to zero. And like anyone making that trade at that time would have become a millionaire. And that's why there's so many like, I think why it like really starts to build on itself is because everyone starts to bet against it. And that's what Doe was talking about is like the short pressure becomes too much and it dies. And like that happens in crypto for algo stable coins, but it also happens with like any currency. Right. And so like the only way to prevent stuff like that and what we try to explain in the piece is like, if it becomes so big that like everyone's using UST in daily transactions, right? It's like if the dollar trades lower against the euro, I don't care because I'm paid in dollars. I use dollars to pay my rent. Like I'm not going to dump all my UST uh, or all my dollars to like go into something else, right? But like that was not the case with UST. People basically like 80%, the reason why we made the point, 80% of it's locked up in Anchor is because that's basically all it was, right? It was like people trying to speculate. And then as soon as it looked like it wasn't going to work anymore, everyone got out, right? So there's hedge funds that knew this was going to happen and probably were like hedged to make money either if USC continued to rise or if it fell because they're smart traders. Um, and then there's the other people in DeFi who like kind of knew this too. And so they were like hedged or ready to get out at the first sign of trouble. And like, that's why I was talking openly about like why the UST or like why the anchor reserves dwindling down was problematic because more and more people were like, uh-oh, Looks like the music's going to stop. We should all probably be on a high alert for anything. So like, that's why it was Tinder for like when the spark happened, when like the curve three pool to four pool stuff happened, it was just a wobble. It was only a little bit like it only dipped to 99 cents, but that was enough to trigger all kinds of things and Celsius pulling their money from anchor. And then you have a full blown bank run on your hands and then it all goes to shit and it all dies. And so like, I'm glad you asked about Mike Novogratz because it's like, yeah, that is pretty again like i've grappled with it because it's like look he's just a hedge fund guy and he's here to make money but like at the same time you're you're at all these conferences talking like retail traders talking about this thing and like i don't know after the fact you can look at someone's losses and be like that's the thing that i struggle with it's like look he was smarter than me because he got out right and like i didn't and i rode this bad boy all the way down to the ground but like <laughs> i feel all right with it and i can sleep with myself because it's like donkey's point like i don't know i wanted to see this happen like what are we doing in crypto if we don't have a decentralized stable coin or like decentralized money right we're just def like there's no point to it and that's why i was like so depressed on top of all this it was like the reason i was even drawn to crypto in the first place is like it can't be a standalone thing if it's built on the traditional banking system at the end of the day. And so like when Terra died, it wasn't just Terra dying and like my money going to zero and everybody else's money going to zero. It was like the mission it was set up to build also failed. And that was a bad thing for crypto. And I think we saw that in the wake of kind of like what happened after when like all kinds of other things got taken down too. And like, you know, that was the whole point of what Doe was trying to say is like, I think why he was trying to build those Bitcoin reserves too, is it was a defense mechanism. It was like, come after us. And like, we're going to have to dump all this Bitcoin and it's going to drag the system down. And like, we did see that, but it just wasn't like too big to fail. But I think it could have gotten there if it kept buying up all this Bitcoin. And so in some ways, it's a good thing that it failed when it did, because if it got even bigger, think about how much money would have been lost in that too, right? Not just from retail, but like the crypto space in general would have been like way more decimated than I think it was in this downfall. 
And so, yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But at the end of the day, like, that's why I'm building coinage is because, like, I want there to be smarter, um, you know, smarter traders out there, smarter people thinking about crypto, because, like, that is where you hold the people in power accountable, right? It's like you're bringing together a community that can work together to kind of answer this, point out inconsistencies, point out flaws. And like as GameStop and AMC proved last year when like apes, <laughs> apes together strong is what they say, right? So it's like if you work together in tandem, the little guy really can stand up to Goliath, I think. And so, you know, that's what coinage is all about in terms of like working together to do that. And like, like I said, it's going to take a long time to build up trust, but like it's day one and I'm excited to see where this goes. I, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks ever so much for your response, uh, Zach, uh, in respect to respect to that, definitely. I think, unfortunately, uh, Do Kwon, there, there, will, there will always be that question mark lingering uh, that, uh, you know, this is a really, really intelligent, smart guy out of Stanford, built something that we, no one had ever seen uh, before, you know, potentially redefine the financial system as we know it. And then we've all got a kind of believe that there's no complicity there in regards to the oversight moving the funds when they were moved from three pool to four pool and th you know there are kind of things in there where i will always you know i i like <laughs> i believed in the dream you know as did probably most people in this in this space at the moment we all believed in the dream but there will always be that question mark i think of like kind of damn you know uh you know, how, how much of that are, are you going to accept as, uh, you know, uh, feasible truth in a sense? And how much of that are you going to think, well, you know, this is a really, really intelligent guy. And did that really slip by him? Did it really? You know, <laughs> it will always That's, be there for me. I don't know. I know. I agree. And I, and I appreciate all the questions you've asked you because it's like, that's what we really wanted to do with this piece is like, obviously, it's not our place to say like, what you should believe. It's like, all we can do is piece together the story and like, let the viewer decide. And I think it's also interesting because like prosecutors are trying to do that right now too. And it's like, how do you prove it's really hard. That's the thing. Like he is a super smart guy. And like, that's why everyone to Donkey's point, like believed in this. Right. And so it's like, yeah, if he knew all these things and like how it would work, like if you're designing something like this, you basically create it in a way that it's like, your alibi is like, look, I thought this was going to work. You can't basically throw me in, in jail or like come after me because like it failed. Like I, I didn't want it to fail. I wanted it to work. But like, that's why we bring up the basis cash stuff. And that's why people were like pointing that out is because like, if you had been around algo stable coins, you know, they're going to fail. Um, at least everyone in history had, but like the pushback on all of that, that I kind of wanted to present in the piece is like, just because something fails doesn't mean that like the next one's going to fail. Right? Like, even Ethereum founders had like worked on projects before that failed. And then they created this and it's like scale matters. And right. Like I think there was a way, which sucks too, to everyone who was in this, like there probably was a way to make this work, right? You just lower the reserve or you lower the interest rate that anchor is paying. And they were already doing that. It went from 20 to 18 before the collapse. And like you slowly gradually move it down and it becomes less risky and less leverage in the system and all this stuff. But it's like, to Doe's point in the interview, it only works if like people are using it like it's a currency and that just never really happened, which is why we talked about Chai as well. Um, Donku, what's what are you gonna add here? Yeah, no, I mean this is I mean, to to be honest, I think everybody who was uh, deeply into this building, I see Kama out there and others and Coleman right now also with the NFT project, the Luna Bolts that are moving forward, which I think is great, is like 
what did I miss myself as a person, right? Also talking about this, did I misunderstood something while believing in this? And what made me at least cringe a bit or put a question mark is when in the second part of the interview, he clearly said that uh, there is stuff that could not have worked and then he missed it. But uh, he never really talked about what it was because at the end, you quickly also tackle about the stuff from Freddie Reynolds, where he said like that, that example is exactly not what happened. That was not happening. It was a specific different uh, bank run. Uh, but that's something where I guess I will never forget in my life. Kind of what did I miss? Did it really not work out or was it like that it grew too fast? Um, maybe that's something to ask him in the future. And I guess a lot of people will do more and more research because if something fails, hopefully uh, we can learn a lot out of this. But that was something that uh, really was interesting listening to the second part for me today in terms of, okay, what did now fail? What was wrong about the assumption, right? And I think there is more to uncover or uncarve, but we will do this, I guess, in the future, right? But for now, it's still a grief time. I think <laughs> it's still nobody yeah. wants to talk or tackle it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's still, I, I think there is active grieving going on as well. But no, I mean, I think that that's going to be key here is like knowing what what he knew when, knowing what kind of, you know, what warning signs were there. And I think, you know, again, I'm not a prosecutor. Coinage isn't a judge and jury. So like we can't really open up access to a lot of this stuff. But I know prosecutors are working on this, obviously. And we'll know some of the facts. Like this was just a first attempt to kind of get where his head's at and what his thinking is and like what questions he can answer. And I think, you know, if people watch the second part of this interview, they'll see that there were like some good questions around some of that stuff that like, I don't know, could be damning. Like full transparency around some of this stuff too is like, if you're a lawyer, you would never have anyone agree to this, right? So like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if like that could come back in a way that like even the lawyers were like, yo, you really shouldn't do this interview. And I asked him about that in the piece. He's like, no lawyers ever going to be happy with it, but it is what it is. And like he did show us like messages from his own legal team being like, yo, we really don't think this is a good idea. And he's like, I'm moving forward with this. I want to. <laughs> I want to. Which legal team? Do you know which one? Because there was also this famous thing that um, the legal team quit at the day of where everything went down right is this a yeah. new team did you talk about or ask this yeah I, I don't i didn't we didn't get like specifically into it and like i don't know which legal team it is now but like i don't know obviously you know like um like the block words uh story which again there's a really good write-up on part one um like that one highlights like there's a lot of people guiding any leader in this like you know mark zuckerberg's legal team prepping him for like congress granted we are certainly not the house hearing here at coinage but like you know there's a lot of thought that goes into this. And so like, if you're sitting in his shoes, and I just think it's like an important thing to highlight for like people thinking about this story. And if you're tuning into this, it's like, yeah, he, he basically did have that warning. Like, I don't know, this is a good idea. But he's like, I want to answer these questions. I want to put, the, I want to put stuff out there. So like, I wouldn't necessarily use it as like absolving of any guilt or anything like that. But it's just like an important thing that I don't know, it was kind of funny to us as we're like editing and thinking about this piece too. But let's see, Space Toads is also in here. I want to like add them up here to uh, also potentially. Uh, wait, is it the classic account? Because that won't say anything besides making a weird sound. But let's see, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Donkey's right. Yeah, well. I wanted to do that for a reason because everyone needs to hear that noise. I think uh, <laughs> it's a very important uh, addition to this discussion. You know, I think it drives the story forward. So we all needed to listen to that. Um, let's see. OJ has a question. They, I know this is opening us up to a lot of problems, but this is what transparency is all about. I don't know who these people are. Anyone can kind of hop up here. 
so we'll let OJ connect. But Donku, thank you for the heads up on that one. No worries. If I spot somebody else, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should be the one bringing people up, honestly. Um, OJ's up here, but they've muted themselves. So there's that. Um, let's see who else is in here. If anyone else has a question, you can request. Yeah, I'm adding just quickly Daniel uh, also up here. Let's see if that one works out. And OJ, just click on. No, he completely jumped out. So I guess connection issues on his side. Classic Twitter spaces. Classic Twitter spaces here. But yeah, Daniel can unmute himself if he's got questions. Anybody else has questions, feel free to request. What's going on? Hello, guys. Hi. Hey, hey. Uh, I'll be very short. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, for your time and the effort. So, I mean, I'm new into this. I've been listening to both of you guys. So, great work so far. Maybe more in the future. You did discuss it briefly, but why didn't you focus more on Luna 2.0? There are some, let's call it the leaks, but um, I'm more curious maybe into the future. Maybe I'm wrong, of course, because I lost, I lost time oh. money, but um, yeah. It's a good question. Um, I would again highlight in part two, we do kind of go into a deeper discussion around Luna 2.0. The biggest thing for me was like, you know, obviously uh, there were, I don't want to call them incentives launched by like Polygon and some other blockchains out there to kind of draw developers away from the Terra ecosystem. And like a lot of projects migrated to some things. Karma's, uh, Karma, who is in here, uh, and Galactic Punks, like they stuck to the Terra, you know, to, to the relaunch Terra chain and, and luna 2.0 so like it was mixed in terms of who people which people wanted to stay on it and which people didn't and i think that's going to be one of the big questions moving forward is like how many people really trust luna 2.0 and clearly there's a lot of confusion around what that chain is now since it doesn't have the ust stablecoin piece to it it's like people saying like oh it's going to collapse again like it's not built that way so it's like it's not going to collapse again because it's not doing the same thing that like terra or luna 1.0 did so that's just like a point of distinction uh, that I think will slowly get realized um, by the mainstream audiences there. But again, it still struggles with like the trust aspect of like, is anyone going to trust? And that was an interesting thing too. If you read the 8,000 word piece, by the way, which is super, super long, but the team Zach Abrams in here, by the way, everybody was uh, the co-writer on that and did really great work, like kind of synthesizing everything down that we couldn't fit into the video piece. But like, I asked Doe about that too. I was like, why would you call this Luna 2.0 when like Luna is now associated with potentially the biggest fraud in crypto? Like what, what's going on there? Like from a branding perspective, surely you have people on your team who are like, we should maybe call this thing something different than Luna 2.0. And he like responded, granted, keep in mind, this is a guy who also named his daughter Luna. So like he's attached to the name. Um, and, you know, I asked him, I was like, why not, why not name it something else? And he's like, I'm literally so drawn. Like we thought about changing the name. I couldn't bring myself to do it. Like I just like walk outside and like I look up at the moon and like I just feel attached to it. And it's like, okay, that's fair. And that gives an insight into like some of his thinking. But like, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't want to do that. In regards to the Luna classic questions, and Donku, you can weigh in on this one too. But to me, I don't really know what the hell is going on with that anymore because it's like, you've got a failed blockchain mechanism between like UST and Luna and the way that it mints back and forth, right? That was turned off kind of in the way in the, in the, you know, in the crash. I haven't followed it closely around like the Terra Rebels story about building that back up right now. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, OJ, we'll get, we'll get to you in a second here. If you want to 
Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, but I mean, you know, that's like one of the questions around this is like, what is really going on there, Donku, when you think about that? Because I asked Joe about that off camera before we got into it. It was just like, am I thinking about this the right way? And he's like, yeah, you are. Like, we're in the downturn when everyone's like, just burn your stuff, send it to a burn wallet. He like put that wallet out there that was just like, okay, people can burn stuff. But like, that wasn't going to solve. You still have like a bunch of outstanding UST debt. And there wasn't enough money to like fund that as Luna went to like basically fractions, fractions, fractions of a penny. So I don't know. I've watched that and I've been kind of confused. So like to me, Luna 2.0 is at least a chain that's kind of trying to be like a competitor like it always was minus the stablecoin aspect. But like Luna Classic, I've seen a huge influx of people basically just trying to like pump this thing up as it's collapsed. And like, I don't really understand what the hell is going on there. Maybe you do, Jonku. Uh, n- no, I don't. But I also... You know, I mean, it's a super complex um, topic, as you said. Um, I think a lot of us just put a question mark of why would you try to revive a chain which is basically connected, as you said, to the biggest crash in crypto ever seen. And even if you bring it back, the people that are right now behind this, which then often is said as community, I always put a question mark. This is not, which is not a problem, but this is not what you know as the old Luna community, because mathematically, it's also impossible to make anybody whole who was before the crash in Luna, because you would need now basically a hundred thousand X or even more to get close to a price point where somebody would get something out of this. So that's why I always say I'm very careful uh, in that direction. At the same time, if somebody wants to bring that back, let them go, because this is blockchain. This is what governance is all about. That's why we need um, the delegation possibilities and that's why i think it's totally fine to trying to just reactivate delegation which has been now pushed forward by the terra rebels i had myself the back and forth with terra rebels because i said i'm putting a question mark of who has an interest in the old chain and what are your interests but at the same time i can disclose right now i don't want to hijack your spaces that uh, i want to do a twitter spaces with them with terra rebels next friday when the chain then finally reactivates delegation because we are still a validator on chain we are supporting the whole process and I want to give them also a chance to just speak up why they did it and what is the reasoning behind going forward. Um, I mean, why not? Just let people do whatever they think. I don't believe that people should expect that Luna comes back from a price perspective. They should not expect that UST comes back to a dollar. That's what I just always put a big exclamation mark and saying, like, if you're saying that this is happening, this is not honest to the people out there. And there have been a lot of speculators now with Luna Classic, but it's fine. And to your point in calling it Luna 2, um, yeah, I was surprised myself because the first, I know kind of the first days after all of this happened and this Terra Rebirth League was created with a lot of the founders, uh, like from Nexus Protocol, Nick, who is an amazing guy. Um, and I was talking to him and uh, on a call, I remember, then he said like, yeah, we want to uh, create a new chain and help out with the Rebirth League. And then uh, we want to call it Luna. And I said, the hell no. <laughs> call it something else. I even came up with a name, but don't call it Luna from a marketing perspective. Wait, this what was, is instant what was, death. What was your name? Just curious. Uh, yeah, let me, I think, wait a second. Um, I, I mean, can. Right. Uh, Obviously, like from a marketing perspective, I think instant death is a fair way to say it because, you know, we did see this airdrop. There was a lot of people like, granted, these are hard decisions to make, right? Like you're thinking about like being in a war room. You haven't slept in like, you know, as Doe claims, you've had a lot of all-nighters. You've had one half burrito. And, like you're trying to rebuild this and like salvage what's left of the community, right? And so like, I think everyone like looking at that would just be like, okay, those are decisions I certainly wouldn't want to make, right? And like the pressure of doing it. But like, yeah, I would agree. The idea of, um, 
<laughs> sticking with Luna 2.0 is just an interesting, interesting. I think that's a branding discussion that shall be discussed for a long time here. But <laughs> <laughs> So my proposal was to call it Celine because Luna is the um, Latin word for moon and Celine is the Greek word for moon in, or the Greek god of, uh, of the Ooh, moon, right? So I, I thought Celine. There. I see what you're yeah. going with there. That would, I, I don't know, I like it. Uh, it sounds great. And then you could have even come up with a stable coin, call it Ilios, which is then uh, the Greek word for sun. So you have again kind of moon and sun, but now in a different mythology that maybe could have helped for the whole rebranding. And I, I like Celine as a word. And then the word as a token could have been, yeah, called SEL, SEL or Celi. I don't know. That's pretty close to Solana, maybe a little bit, but I, I like the idea here in terms of different words for moon. I also feel like, you know, to your point on like the stablecoin aspect, we did ask, right? So like, uh, I forgot who just asked about the Luna 2.0 question, but it's like, are you going to do another stablecoin? And he's like, I'm actually very interested in stablecoins. And I was like, uh-oh, here we go. Doe's going to say he wants to do another stablecoin. And I was like, is that going to live on Luna 2.0? And he was like, um, no, that's not the plan right now. But he's like, I want to release like a spec sheet, right? Like kind of we have different ideas for stablecoins, want to release those. And I was talking about that with Zach Abrams as we were like reflecting on the footage here. And it was like, yo, like, can you really be like in the position to not realize that like maybe, just maybe someone really doesn't want to hear about a stablecoin discussion, like from like what was designed in the wake of Terra failing, right? Like it's like, I'm not like, granted, there's probably no better person, as I say in the piece, that understands stablecoins, right? So if there's going to be someone who might say, yeah, this is where we failed and this is how we make it better, again, just because it failed in the past doesn't mean that uh, you can't fix those things and move forward. Like that's what he described around basis caches. Like there were things that he didn't want to do and he created UST and it was different. But like at the same time, from like a marketing thing and a branding discussion, it's like you don't hire the captain who just like crashed a plane to fly your new plane, right? It's like, that's just not how it works. And so I don't know. I mean, like, that's one thing where he's like, yeah, I want to put this thing out. And I'm, I'm curious to see like if anyone ever wants to hear that. But like, if you think about the reaction to like this piece and just like trying to get Doe to answer questions and like how, you know, how angry everyone was just hearing him speak, like the idea of talking about stable coins right now is just like, you know, I, I think you know, I'm not a branding expert, mind you, but I think it might be a little premature. Uh, Karma, I saw you hopped up here. You know, you've been very attached to this as well. We also met in Barcelona at the Avalanche Conference, but, you know, curious to hear your thoughts on everything or if you had anything else to add or questions. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Um, you know, we've we've moved through so many topics now that I actually forgot why I raised my hand in the first place. Um, but I, I just have many thoughts to what you've just said. First things first, Barcelona AVAX conference was just months ago, but it feels like a different life. In fact, quite hilariously, I do remember making a joke that, oh, Terra Maxis don't even know there's a bear market yet. <laughs> simply because we were consistently at a very high prices and we had a little laugh about it. Um, well, those Not were the only laugh, Kama. There was a big part of the anchor team and I won't say who was there, but there was a running joke, right? That, um, you know, is it safe? Is my UST safe over there? And <laughs> no, we're here. I don't know if it's too soon to say this right now, but I remember it quite vividly. <laughs> it was yeah, crazy. absolutely. We didn't, we, we were there drinking wine, enjoying Barcelona and did not know what was coming. But um, coming back to the discussion, I think I just wanted to comment maybe on what you just said, Zach, that, you know, 
I agree it is maybe a bit too early to be discussing merits of uh, new stable coins. On the other hand, though, I just want to throw it out there that one thing that I truly love about crypto and that attracted me to it was the eagerness and readiness to fail, to accept failure and not to criminalize failure. We all know how many rug pulls there are out there. There is so much incentive to be dishonest in this space simply because it's still such an experimental, fast-paced environment where many ill-fated attempts at something simply go unpunished, even if they were malicious. But on the flip side of that, it's an incredible space that can advance so quickly because people are acceptant of failure. Now, Terra's failure was obviously at a magnitude that I think all of us were unprepared for. And, you know, it would have been ideal for it not to happen. But on the flip side, and this is what I'm getting at, if we criminalize failure and start seeing failures in this space as a big red cross on a person, basically making them unable to proceed and rise from that failure, I think we would find ourselves with very, very few builders left. And, you know, everybody has to obviously decide for themselves, but I would much rather um, be involved in a project of someone who has failed and maybe learned from these mistakes than in a project of someone who is just starting off. And this is just a very personal opinion. No, but it's a good opinion. And I think it's one that, you know, from our position, that wasn't necessarily something I think, you know, granted in the way that we were perceived in this, like we couldn't really explore that path. I think if we had explored that path, like you couple like the accusations of bias around like what's coinage telling the story for, like, why did they get the story? Like if we were the ones to come out and be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad that, you know, it shouldn't be criminalized for fraud. Like if you look at all the anger right now, and this is kind of the interesting thing around like the politics of it, right? And like um, regulators and stuff and like how much will change now that this happened and how much more pressure is on the SEC and the states and like all these other regulators looking at crypto is like, yeah, if people get hurt like this, it like amplifies the need for regulators to be more active, right? And so like that's what kind of sucks around all of it. And like, you know, I wish we we had more time to kind of discuss like those thoughts and like how much he's set back the entire crypto space by like, yes, trying to do this and failing might not be criminal, but it's like, it's objective, I think, to say that, you know, it dented a lot of people, not just in like the Terra collapse, but then like what happened after it. And like, I don't know, on the Coindesk interview, it was interesting to hear like kind of like, well, they, you know, they failed and then it triggered like all the Celsius stuff and it triggered the anchor or the uh, Voyager stuff. And it's like, not really you know it's like celsius had their money in anchor and like is that terra's fault like no like leverage being built up by 3ac and everybody else like terra doesn't control that and so it's like the aftermath of all this stuff happened because it was like a domino effect but it's like i don't know to like link all that stuff and say like yeah that simp like all of that rests on terra's shoulders is a little bit like you know going a step too far but you're right to point out that like you know i don't want to see that like failure criminalized either because like you're you're absolutely right like that's why coinage is building this too like could coinage not deliver on his promise like potentially i mean we're working day in day night to like try and prove this model out but it's like you know this is kind of like the frontier and i and i do appreciate the fact that like yeah some of these things aren't going to work out but i think you know in regards to like making sure everyone's comfortable with those risks like that's kind of what i was getting at in the line of questioning is like does this deserve to be on your shoulders around like what you knew when 
and kind of what was presented to, I guess, like more of a retail audience, which is why I was asking, like, is this on you? Is this on Gemini? Is this on Binance? Like, whose fault is it that there were a lot of people who were sucked into this and saw a 20% interest rate and thought it was just like USDC and Tether? When it's like, some of that blame also is on our shoulders for like putting our money in if you didn't know the risks, right? It's like, that's on you, D-Y-O-R. Like, know where that 20% interest yield is coming from, you know? So that's just one other thing that like is adding to the complexity of it all, but. Yeah, and uh, sorry for, for uh, immediate rebuttal, um, or maybe even not rebuttal, I'm actually agreeing with this. Um, I mean, I am retail. I am not educated in any way financially. I come from an art world. I just, you know, got really into Terra because I was really, really attracted to the the ethos of easy YUX, easy onboarding. To me, it was the ecosystem that I could really grow within because it wasn't as confusing as other ones. But that aside, what I personally think is very important, you know, you said Terra like started this entire collapse. Well, a system that can be collapsed by a domino effect like this is possibly not a very stable system. So in so many ways, this was possibly a wake up call and a a huge deleveraging effect um, and something we possibly even needed for long term stability. But that aside, obviously, it was very painful for, for everybody. Me as well. Like I lost my entire portfolio. I'm not going to lie. I was like a huge Terra bull. I had everything staked. And a part of what really, really disturbed me personally in all these discussions after Terra's collapse was the profound lack of self-accountability in many of the people that spoke up or felt in some way entitled to compensations for their own actions and their own inability to research what they were I'm sorry to say it like this, but mindlessly aping into. I I will be honest here and just say as a counterpoint, I do not feel sorry for people who tell me that, you know, they liquidated the entire savings accounts and put it into Anchor because that is so incredibly dumb that I just can't believe that something like this can be put onto shoulders of, you know, devs or someone that invented the system that they then aped into. Maybe this is just me being a little bit cold, but I, I just I just wanted to say that in this entire discussion, that was the one thing that I found really disturbing, that you can't just put your money into something you saw online and then be angry at everybody else when it all went, you know, to shit. Um, <laughs> no, it's a really good point. And it's like, OK, so first of all, this is this space is phenomenal. This is exactly the discussion I wanted to have. I'll just insert the little reminder here that if anyone's kind of curious about what Coinage Media is trying to do with discussions like this, like this is exactly what we want to do is like reflect on this. And anyone who's listening to this and is like on this call, you know, we're in an invite only stage for like our ownership NFTs. But like if you're interested at all, please DM me. And like I want to get this out to not just like, you know, big names and stuff like that, but like anyone who is actually willing to build this with us as a partner, like please DM me. We can figure out a way to get you an invite, you know, or if you know, Mint a subscriber NFT, like, welcome to the community. Join us in our Discord. We can talk about all these big crypto stories. But to your point, Karma, like, I think the biggest thing around all this, too, is, like, it's really hard to tell someone, like, like, like Donku's point, like, everyone's going through their own stage of grief, right? And it's like, I don't want to be the one to come in here and be like, yo, you know, this one's kind of your fault. Or, like, the tough love of, like, well, you know, if you're looking for this and you don't think it's going to fail, like, you shouldn't own the risk. But you're really, you're really right in that, like, the crypto space is a little bit inconsistent and hypocritical if you're saying like, 
well, what the hell? I should have like had a regulator keeping me safe when like all of this is about like we don't need regulators to keep this safe. And so like that is a little bit of the hypocrisy around like some of the Terra Luna discussions around like the crash is just like you can't both say at the same time like you need regulators to be out of crypto. But then also when you lose money, say, I wish that there was a regulator here to protect me. And it's like, depending on your beliefs around like the nanny state and whether or not that should be a thing, like, I don't know, I've grappled with it too, because like not everyone does their own research and like, yeah, whose fault is that? I mean, it depends on like what you believe. Yeah. And sorry, just one last point on this. I just feel very strongly about is the point of we all heard do your own DD. There is a lot to be said for the fact that we can't actually do our own DD. Like this is such a cutting edge space that most of the lead developers don't even fully understand all aspects of technology, all possible failure mechanisms or dangers. We hear about exploits every second day. So how are you actually supposed as a retail investor to do thorough DD that allows you due diligence, that allows you to actually be comprehensively informed? It's very, very, very difficult, even for specialists in the space. But on the flip side... This is precisely, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me just add there that like, that's kind of what I was getting at in the first part of this interview was like kind of trying to figure out what you knew and when was kind of the discussion around Chai. Like that was definitely something that was misrepresented around like how actively, uh, how active people were in using UST through Chai and something that Do Kwon admitted to not being correct about and informing the public. So like that's something that I think, you know, prosecutors as they unpack this, that's if I was looking at like kind of some of this stuff, that would be one thing that like I think is going to get a lot of attention because you're right. It's impossible to know everything that's going on behind the scenes as an investor or a believer in this project. And so like that's one thing uh, I tried to push on to get that on the record, but just wanted to flag that. And sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm, I'm coming to a close. I just wanted to say that these are these two sides of a coin. On one hand, I really want to stress that out. No matter how much you try, you can't be a developer, a researcher, an economist all in one while just investing on a side while doing your full-time job. Most of us are not full-time web-free. So that is one one part of it. But on the flip side, you then have to understand that if you are not able to be all those things, as you naturally cannot, um, you just have to know how much you don't know and adjust your risk accordingly. I, I'm just really amazed at how many people went all in or something that they had no idea about and haven't even researched the, the, you know, the algorithm, a stable coin, whatever. I think just to sort of like maybe step away a little bit, I didn't want to say that I'm, you know, completely in agreement with everything that has happened. I also agree that there has been a lot of misinformation, obfuscation, maybe even. But I'm just trying to present like another point of this, another viewpoint on some of this victimization of people that had a lot of their own blame in this situation. So, yeah, thank you so much for the spaces. You know, for sure. And, you know, we just want to be as transparent as possible. But I do think like you're raising a lot of good points. And that's kind of what, you know, in the second half of this interview, which again, if no one's watched part two of our interview with Doquan, where we get into the specifics around the collapse and more DeFi DGen specific language, I would definitely encourage you to check that out because that's just as important as the first part, obviously. And we're trying to make sure that people watch that too. So I think if anyone's on this call, please definitely share it and say, that was only part one. You got to watch part two, uh, just to correct, you know, some of the coverage out there that's been kind of mischaracterized. Like that's all it was. But I mean, like just for background here, Karma here is part, like was part of the Galactic Punks project that like I kind of 
I bought a punk, you know, it was an NFT project on top of Terra. And like, it was, you know, a lot of people in the Terra ecosystem use these things. She still has hers up there, like as PFPs, they're in the transition from like moving over from, you know, Terra, the original blockchain to Luna 2.0 right now. And I also migrated my punk over there in full, full transparency, you know, I've got that thing going, but like these things, obviously they're priced in Luna, right? So like when this all went to shit, it wasn't just like Luna collapsing and stuff too, but it was like all the NFT projects denominated in Luna as well, right? So it's the underlying like currency that's used to buy these things and trade these things. And so like those also got decimated. And I, I you know, we were all in this together and watching it all unfold and, and collapse. But like, that's like one of the things around all this too, to the question of investing in crypto being a community driven mission, like you putting your money behind something you want to see built is extremely different than like buying shares in general mills because you think they're going to make money in the third quarter, right? Like you're not saying their cereals are going to change my life and I must buy these shares to contribute to the mission of Frosted Flakes, which I don't know. I don't know if general mills is actually Frosted Flakes. Someone fact check me on that one. But the point is like what I'm driving towards in the second half of this interview is like, you cannot say that crypto is different than like equities because people are putting their money towards a mission and not also be as the founder of this, I think a little bit more defensive around someone just took down your projects. And so like, I'm still confused, honestly, after like having done that piece of the interview, like everyone has their different coping mechanisms. And so it might just be the way that like Do Kwan's coping with some of the collapse. And yes, he needs to accept blame in terms of like an image, but also like believes that it's not really his fault because like, Markets are markets and someone can take down a currency peg. And so like, yes, that's also like a way to look at it too. But as I was exploring that in the interview, and as you can see in part two, it's like kind of inconsistent with like the thinking around it. And so I don't know, I just flagged those points because like the reason why I think some people get sucked into this and karma, you raised the point of like, you should only invest what you're willing to lose. And like, yes, that's a very logical thing to say. And a thing that like we all try and remind ourselves, but like I've always operated in that ethos too. And somehow, the more you dig, the more you become part of this community, you start to believe in the project, you start to add more money, you start buying a galactic punk that's like, you know, I forgot what it was when I bought it, but maybe it was like $2,000 in dollars. But because you made so much money in Luna, you like use the Luna on the project, right? So it's like you get more invested, I guess, that way. And you're more exposed that way. And you don't read it that way. You're just thinking like, I'm supporting this and becoming like more into the project when like it starts to take over a larger and larger piece of your portfolio. And like you just, again, that's where like, I think hedge funds are professional about like adjusting risk and exposure. And so like, yeah, a Mike Novogratz sells out in Q1 before this collapse. And you could say like, yeah, that looks a little sketch, but you can also say that's just like what they're meant to do. They're meant to make money. They're not believing in a project. They're just supporting like their own, their own mission of we need to make money, right? And so, you know, for me, that's one thing where like, I got lost in the sauce, I will admit it, like, I got overexposed more so than like, I probably should have, but it's like, it draws you in, and you like start interacting with these people. And you want to kind of be a part of the community if you believe in the mission. And again, backing up, like decentralized money was what this was hinged on. And like, it was so clearly tied to anyone who's in crypto, like, of course, you can't have a stable coin that's controlled like Tether or USDC. Um, if you believe in like decentralizing this stuff and not dealing with centralized issuers of stable coins because they can get shut down easy or they can blacklist wallets like interacting with Tornado Cash, which made this a very interesting time to tell the story as well. Like there was a need for it. It drew a lot of people in who were into crypto. 
It drew a lot of retail people into it too because they saw a juicy 20% yield. Like there was a lot that this project drew people in like why they were here and you slowly and surely start to like believe a little bit of this stuff. And that to me was just like kind of worth exploring. And again, something that like, I think another journalist who was completely objective here would miss around like his point in community and like why people put their money behind this and stayed longer. Uh, Donku, I don't know if you would agree with all that, but it's like, I don't know. That to me was the most interesting part of this interview. Um, if you're in the community or if you're investing in crypto, it's like, yes, this is very different than an equity in the sense of, you know, I guess you could day trade it the same way that shares are day traded, but it's like, it's very different than what's being built. It's, I think that's the main thing why at least this becomes, it has become for me also interesting because it's not a stock that you anyway will never get involved most likely with the product, even if you can use it because it's not a, a B2C a company, it's maybe a B2B one. And uh, you don't even maybe know it. You, you can try to find some information online, but you will never interact with the processes of the company. So this is why crypto is so cool, right? You can uh, basically uh, buy the coins of a project. You can immediately probably use the project itself, which is not connected to the governance token, if it has a governance token that you buy, but you can make decisions on the future of this. And then there is a community that you can go into long fights <laughs> about the future of the project itself. That's a cool thing. So you're not only buying this to trade it up or to long-term invest, you basically get yourself invested, interested, and then, uh, I don't know, have an influence in the future of that specific project. That's the cool thing about it. But yeah, at the same time, it's also the difficulty right now because those tokens need to be distributed. High inflation, that would take everything into a different direction. <laughs> but yeah, that's what makes this truly cool. Well, we're getting, I mean, we talked a little bit about Luna Classic. I want to bring up... Um... Our next request here, someone whose BIOS is dedicated to revitalizing Luna Classic. So I want to just bring them into this because I guess, Karma, you're moving to Luna 2.0. And we were having a discussion around Luna Classic and what that's trying to do. So we can add a little bit more context around, I guess, you know, the chain that Donku is still a validator on and what's going on with Luna Classic. So we'll bring a you up here right now um, to answer some of that. Happy Caddy Crypto is on with us here on the spaces if you had a question uh, as well you can unmute and ask it we also brought up uh another person here arizona if there's any questions hit us with it because i think we'll wind this we'll wind this space down we've been chatting for a while so maybe just a couple more questions here hi zach i appreciate everything you're doing for the overall movement and i appreciate you letting me come up to speak and I really like the way you've approached the whole situation and kind of looking at it from a neutral standpoint, asking the questions that probably other people wouldn't ask if it did get on mainstream media. And But I want to kind of divert over to Terra Classic. Zach, I don't know if you're aware that staking is probably going to return around the 26th. Yeah, we were talking about that. Donku was mentioning it just a little bit ago and kind of the preparations for it and why he's still kind of enabling it with his validator, who I think was in here a little bit earlier. Uh, still in here. Um, so, yeah, we were chatting it. Yeah, it's looking really good from the overall perspective of the classic movement. And you saying about Galactic Punks and Luna Punks are trying so hard to bring back the staking utility that they had pre-capitulation and i know they were quite a successful project and losing galactic punks from the classic chain was pretty huge um to myself because i overall believe in utility and burning but more utility because you can have as many people as you want 
you know, burn coins. But if people are not buying, trading, selling it, using it instead of sitting on it, we're just going to end up like every other coin without utility. And I feel that. Hey, actually, sorry, just let me interrupt because like, I think it's interesting to and I've tried to like think about this too. But when you say like burning coins, I like use the metaphor that like let's just say there's like a nuclear disaster, right? And there's a meltdown. And like I guess the burning coins for anyone who's like not really sure what the hell's going on here, I like speaking of metaphors. We used a couple of those in the in part one to explain stuff. I don't know if blimps were the best metaphor, but I thought it was funny. Um, when we're talking about this, like if there's a nuclear disaster and you're saying like people can burn coins, I'm envisioning it as like some people are coming in picking up the nuclear waste and like throwing it somewhere else out of the town, which is like, you know, the debt overhang of UST and stuff, or like how much Luna Classic got printed in the depegging. And so like the way I'm looking at it and correct me if I'm wrong is like, all right, everyone's kind of doing their part and like burning tokens, like buying them, sending them off, getting them out of the system. But like also, I guess the uh, impact in that metaphor is that like, you know, there's a physical pain to them because they're essentially like burning their own money by getting it out of the system, but because so many infinitely were printed, like everyone working together to do that might actually clean it up and raise the price. But like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, if that's a bad metaphor. No, it's a pretty good metaphor. And I think a lot of people need to be aware with the burning protocol, the way that um, the terror system actually handles the burns itself. When you send coins to the dead wallet or the burn wallet, however you want to pretty much address it it doesn't just uh, burn the coins in a sense it actually removes them from the circulating supply and the total supply so meaning that they are actually removed and we do have people that are like myself are leading community cost-free burn initiatives so in a sense our initiatives give people the opportunity to not have to burn their own coins but actually just either engage with the youtube channel or stake with our upcoming node to get rewards and then we burn our rewards so in effect it doesn't actually come from the community and i know there's a lot of burn initiatives out there that do in a sense take liquidity from the market to then like you're saying pick the nuclear waste up and throw it somewhere else so i think it's a good metaphor but overall the burning is going to help because we are limited by our market cap so if we wanted to hit a dollar right now it's just impossible because of the market cap would be $6.9 trillion, which isn't going to happen because Bitcoin's just under uh, half a trillion. So we are limited in a sense there, but that doesn't mean we can't make good gains. But the good thing at the moment, Zach, is the terror rebels movement in general. And I feel now that they've made contact with Duquan, they are getting their merges. It's kind of like it's being approved, you know, by the overall person. And I feel that yeah. Both chains coexist. Neither one is budging, are they? Both communities are very strong. And I feel both need to work with each other to inspire one another to get going and get us to where we need to be. The, well, that's, uh, the in- I think it's an interesting thing. And I'm glad you kind of helped clarify there. So thank you for, for jumping in with kind of the way you're looking at it. Because, you know, Karma's on here and she was, like you said, I mean, Galactic Punks was one of the big kind of uh, projects to look at in terms of the NFT land on Terra. And so like, yeah, I was watching some people migrate, some people not. And like moving over to um, Luna or Luna 2.0 Karma, I wonder if you could weigh in kind of on like the decision there and like how people should be thinking about moving from one to the other or like kind of, I don't know, I've always looked at it as like, okay, Luna 2.0 is like 
where the kind of if you bought into Luna in the first place, it's like Terraform Labs. Obviously, the question of decentralization here is one thing that we don't explore in the piece, really, because it's like, yes, it was presented as decentralized money, but clearly it wasn't there yet. The Luna Foundation Guard Reserves was not set up properly. It was still kind of mostly controlled by Terraform Labs uh, in terms of like when they would do this stuff. So you could look at that as like, well, you just recreated the crypto fed basically to step in, in times of volatility to address this stuff. And like, that's what, you know, when I was working on this piece back in April, that's what we wanted to tell when we had the Doe interview lined up already pre-crash. Like we were doing a package on like, it kind of looks like you're really just reconstructing a crypto fed. And like, basically, you know, when the, when this collapsed, everyone was talking about like, why wasn't anchor like insured? It's like, okay, people were asking for like a recreated FDIC. And it's like, what are we doing here? Are we just recreating the old system? Which like kind of, that's what Bitcoin is, right? It's like recreating a better money. So it's like nuanced in like these little tiny pieces. So like I went back and forth around like, what are we really doing here? Like had to remind myself like, no, it may look very similar, but it's very different. And so like, yeah, I guess, Karma, if you want to jump in here with like kind of the way you're thinking about things now as we move into this next chapter, because like a lot of the smart minds, like that's what people were betting on, right? Like Duo Kwan was a very smart guy. So they're betting on, him running the show. And now if he's like, I'm going to be building on Luna 2.0, I wonder if that was like kind of a piece of like what you were looking at when you were thinking about migrating or not. Um, yeah. So just very briefly on our decision, the, so we spend a lot of time actually with Illiquid Labs building that migration tool. And the reason why we built it in the first place and then enabled it, it was built mostly for punks, but we then obviously enabled it for other collections. And the reason was, precisely because we wanted to give people the choice of where they want to keep their NFTs. If you own a Galactic Punk and you believe in Terra Classic, you want to stay there, that is your choice. That is your NFT. You shouldn't be forced to migrate anywhere. It should be your particular choice. That, that's the choice we are giving you. But at the same time, we are being transparent. We are a very small team. We have always been a team of just five core members. None of us ever worked on Galactic Punks full time. This was a passion project that we did on top of our careers. And we just don't have the bandwidth to support two chains. So for us, we are going to be concentrating on Terra 2.0 simply because that's, you know, we need to streamline. But if you believe in Terra Classic, you bought this NFT. That's the entire point of NFTs. You own it. You can stay there and you can still, you know, enjoy some of the spaces we are doing, enjoy some of the some of the of the benefits uh, of the DAO. Just up to you, really. Um, but at the same time, as a team, we need to be conscious of what our capabilities are. And we are just going to be building on Terra 2.0 from now on, which is also why, in, you know, we passed on the validator to Lung DAO. Uh, our Terra Classic validator. So I don't know if there are any more questions, but that's just very, very quickly how our team sees it. It's a mixture of circumstance and bandwidth. Yeah, I think obviously, like like we all reflected, and that's kind of what I wanted the spaces to be is kind of like a reflection back to like what that week was for all of us. And Karma, you mentioned like having your whole entire portfolio basically blow up in what was just a couple days, really, I guess. And it's like, you know, I don't think people really comprehend from the outside looking in, right? Like how, how insanely powerful those days were for like a lot of people attached to this. Like it was, 
extremely dark, right? Like no one in our generation, at least I guess I'm speaking from the position of like an American watching this all unfold, had ever really seen like a bank run happen, right? Like that's not something that exists anymore, at least in the US because of the FDIC and like a lot of this stuff is like panic exists in any market, right? And so like you can you can debate whether or not everyone should have known like about a death spiral or a bank run potentially being a thing that would have happened with any algo stable coin or whatever. Um, but like debating that and seeing it play out in real time, upfront and personal is like an entirely different experience. And so like, that's to me, like kind of what's so dark about this story is like, yes, there are suicides and stuff. And like, you know, Coindesk had asked about that in my interview, like it was very dark and personal for me too. Like my co-founder's family friend killed himself in this too. And like, I was dealing with a lot of like, I didn't sleep either. I think a lot of people in the ecosystem probably didn't sleep when all this was, was happening. And like, it was insanely draining, um, to like experience. And, you know, from the outside looking in, like, I I don't know, there's just so much about this. that's like objectively, yes, you should know the risk or whatever. Um, and like everyone knew that this could potentially happen. Um, but like when you're telling a story like this, it's insanely complicated to really put all the facts out there and have someone who was not attached to terror and knew anything about this or knows anything about crypto, but to like tell this story from the position of, yes, these are the facts, but like you can't really convey the emotions and the community aspect and like the beliefs that are conveyed or or attached to all this as well. And that just from like a storytelling perspective, just me personally, was actually really complicated to include in the piece too. Carmine, I don't know if you had anything to add on that one, um, but you're unmuted. So I was pausing there to see if you had anything to add, but but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like one of the aspects we wanted to tie into this. And Donku, I mean, you were obviously like front row seat there too. We were on the spaces trying to tell people and like just kind of address, you know, look, no one really knows how that was going to go when it was like holding at 60 cents, right? Like it's like USC was all over the place just for context. And we tried to like, I guess we didn't really include it so much in the piece. It was obviously included in Zach Abrams's write up of 8,000 words, which I would encourage anybody listening to this to go read because of the video content's not all we put out. But 8,000 words digging into kind of the timeline of this is a phenomenal piece. Everyone should read it. Coinage.media, Zach Abrams crushed it. Um, but like thinking about kind of looking back on it, it was like there was a chance that this could recover. In last May, it dipped to like almost 80 cents and recovered and it was fine. But like when you think about the scale of all the money that had brought, you know, people into this, there were so much more eyeballs on it. There were so many more traders looking at this opportunity. You could make the case that like because Terra had grown so big, it didn't do anything to the like main factor of risk here, which is something that Do Kwan kind of reveals. I don't know if it's part one or part two of our interview, but it's like you think like the Lindy effect of these things like staying at a dollar over time, sure, should make people think that it's always going to stay at one dollar. But like when it starts to depeg, that fear is always there for like any individual actor in that setting to be like, okay, it's at 70 cents now. Do I sell? Do I get out? It's like that fear always is constant. No matter how much money is in the system or whatever, it's like that's always a potential design risk to any algo stable coin or anything like this. And so like when individual people are panicking, that's what's so fascinating to me when we talked, I forgot who was asking about like the steady lads tweet and like doing this deal. We'll never know what could have happened if that $2 billion deal came together. And like whether or not, obviously, objectively on paper, like you can debate whether or not the money there was going to be enough to like kind of write the ship as Luna was collapsing and that's collateralizing the stable coin. But like 
again, from the fear aspect, like that's really what's driving a bank run is like, what could Do Kwan say in those moments? And like, whether or not you're lying about what's going on behind the scenes, like any bank, even in a bank run would basically try and instill confidence. That's why we included the, uh, it's a wonderful life clip because it's like all that the guy in the movie is trying to do in the bank run, obviously is instill confidence. I'm like, look, we have enough money to get through this. I'm not going to do my James Stewart impression here and be like, Oh, look, see, it's all in the, it's in his house, in his house. I guess I just did the impression. But the point is, is that like, this is what's going on and you need to create confidence to reject that fear. But you also can't get caught in lying to the community about like what's being done. And so when the deal falls through, that's when like a potential recovery for me personally, and Donku, you can weigh in on this, but like watching that all play out and being like steady lads, we got a deal coming, the deal falls through. And like, that's when it really breaks from like 60 cents down to 30 and below that. It's like all the trust in the system for this to like actually repeg and get back to $1 is gone. And at that point, there is no return. And I remember specifically kind of being in the spaces with you talking about this and like, how do you tell people who had followed you, right? In the run up in like discussions and covering this stuff, like, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I've been present with the risks here. I've been truthful about like, the risks around a deep pegging in a bank run. But like in the moment, I cannot tell you whether you should sell at 60 cents and it's going to come back or not. Like that's a personal decision you need to make. And I remember us having those with people who tuned in. It's just like, look, you can only make the decision you can make. And for some of us that meant selling at 60 cents and like salvaging whatever we put in or riding it all the way down, hoping that it would repeg. And for people who had staked Luna and it's locked up for 28 days, they didn't even get to make that call because it's locked up in the system. And so like maybe some people hedged, maybe some people didn't, but like that is kind of what was so like huge about the story is like, yes, you can put a number on it and say $45 billion was lost in crypto's biggest collapse. But like at the end of the day, it was really a story on an individual level of people who had put their money into this and like were trusting or not trusting that it could come back. And it's like fear. It's like, you know risk it's like all of these things kind of on an individual level scaled up so i don't know donk you got anything to add there i I can just tell you uh i remember our spaces where i'm very uh grateful that you supported me there because it was when the chain halted and when uh, i tried to communicate i said shout out to uh, my friends from dyke uh they were in the background trying to see what was happening in the validator discord trying to be ready to when we bring the chain back in an upgraded way uh, and then trying to get, uh, get everybody on speed of what is happening if there is a decision uh, and you basically helping out. But then uh, the days before, which were also uh, with spaces every day, it's like I, I can't even remember when ha- when what happened because, as you said, there was no sleep, um, hours of spaces, just everybody trying to get a feeling of what's happening there. So surreal. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there will be a documentation in the future which goes through all of those days from the war room perspective, from our community perspective. And um, yeah, I hope that we can look back and say, look, at least we, I mean, it's all just about experiencing something. And this was for sure a very special experience in time, which I don't think a lot of people will witness in their life. Do I want to have that again? For sure not. (laughs) But yeah, um, it's all wild. It's also crazy. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's so, so, so difficult. In hindsight, of course, it was so obvious. I don't think so. And yeah, let's see. I think the only thing we should not um, lose ever is the expectation. Um, it was right to trying to get decentralized money. As you mentioned it two hours ago, when we started to talk about the whole Tornado cash stuff and all of this. But um, man, it's just, um, 
crazy that it's just a few months back. Really, yeah. <laughs> totally I, crazy. It is crazy. Karma, I want to I want you to jump in with your personal experience in the collapse too in just a second. But I, just circling back to kind of one of the other points that like was, you know, I asked about it in the interview when it comes to like how much we all lost. We're all talking about like our own personal losses here and what it means to us. But like I presented that question to Doe. You saw in the piece and he's like, I was like, how much did you lose in all this? And he says, in dollars and kind of waits and then dodges the question with a joke about being down infinite. It's like, of course, I wanted that question answered because like that is, I think, going to be kind of core to like, what did you know and when and how much did you profit on this? He claims that like, you know, he's only paid a salary through this and he didn't even take the full founders tokens that he could have taken. And like, yes, that's kind of the defense. But when it comes to like the optics of it all, it would be very easy to just be like, yeah, look, I lost everything. And I think that that would go a long way. So I pressed for him to answer that question. There was no response to that question. And I think, you know, even talking about it to friends, it's like revealing exactly how much you lost in a project is always kind of like a personal thing, like whether or not you want to do that. Granted, you know, none of us really built something like this that sucked a lot of money in. So like, it's different when we're talking about our own losses versus a founder revealing what their losses were and whether or not this is failure or fraud. And so like, that's one of the things that like, I wished, obviously, Doe answered just because if we're talking about like, whether or not this is an honest thing, or whether or not we can like trust anything that we got in this piece, or like the stuff that he's saying, like, we put out stuff that was like edited, because it's like, we didn't want to lead with the mole discussion, because that kind of sounded like an excuse and not really tied to whether or not this is like an honest retelling, like we wanted to present to the viewer, you know, facts and things that he answered and let them make their own decisions. Like people don't see in a discussion around like bias and stuff, like really all we were trying to do is put the facts out there. Like you see what we put out, but you like don't see what we didn't present to the viewer. Right. And like, that's kind of like the hardest part of like journalism is trying to choose like what's facts and what's not like, it's obviously not like entirely our call, but if we know something that's not true or can't be verified or is kind of like not really related to it, you don't lead with that. Right. It's like, you don't obfuscate the facts with something else that existed um, that wasn't really true or kind of like detached from like the real reason why this failed. And so like I pressed for that from in terms of like how much Doe lost and all this because it's something that everyone wants to know. And like asked him a bunch of times and like that would have made for really good TV kind of, I guess, uh, around like, yo, why didn't you reveal it? How much did you lose? How much did you lose? And like just ask it five times. It would have been good content. I would agree. But like, you know, you're dealing with like someone that you've, established like the whole reason that i got this interview is that there was a relationship there over multiple interviews and like the trust process when everyone wants to like when you're getting death threats and stuff it's like okay you're backed into a corner you're not going to do like an interview with just anybody you want to do it with someone like you know is going to ask you the right questions about the project to get to the truth and not make it just like what did you know when blah blah blah. like i it's it was a lot that went into this i just want to be clear about that but karma i mean to your point we're all talking about our losses he didn't reveal how much he lost in this. He said he could present his wallets. There's still a lot of questions around like, okay, but if you're buying and selling up and through kind of this, uh, you know, as it runs up, there is a good argument to make that like without that being presented to the public, it's really hard to figure out like, was this just a long Ponzi or not? If you're saying that like people got out and not a lot of people made money, but you're not revealing how much you made. It's really difficult from the outside perspective to, to agree. And again, this is a court of public opinion we're talking about here, not exactly a criminal case. I will leave that to the prosecutors. But like in the court of public opinion, that is a fact that I think a lot of this belief hinges on whether or not you can trust it, whether or not it was a slow rug, like all that stuff without that fact is very difficult to make a judgment call. Um, so yeah, 
that's kind of how I look at that piece. But Karma, we're all talking about our personal things. I'm not sure if there's anything to add there or like anything to add on what I just said about, you know, what was answered and what wasn't around personal loss. Yeah. So on one hand, of course, I completely subscribe to your views where I think we, after everything we've went through, we all feel like we deserve transparent answers. But so that's the part of me that, you know, thinks about this whole situation. But on a very, very personal level, I have to tell you very honestly that it has never interested me throughout this entire ordeal how much people like the lost born the down bad down cataclysmic down infinite means it's it has never once in my life helped me in any way to know that someone has lost more and maybe that's why again i i acknowledge the importance of that on a very transparent level and when it comes to moving forward as a network as a community as a founder for though but for me personally throughout this entire collapse the monetary thing was very secondary uh and this is not to say that i'm a whale and this wasn't a consideration this was my entire portfolio but as a person building in a space as a person in nft space which is very social incredibly close-knit especially within cosmos which is still you know very very much at the beginning of this nft journey it was mostly the loss of personal relationships and being a spectator to incredible losses in other people's lives that cannot even be quantified monetarily but pertain more to their so- social like value their projects them as people like in the in the days of the collapse and weeks upon weeks after everybody was just in such an immense amount of grief literally crushed under it and it wasn't really the money it wasn't like the big fat you know, red minus uh, on CoinGeek on the, next to Luna day after day that was the most revolting. It was calling your friends or them calling you and realizing that, you know, they are drunk and completely like out of their mind with grief. Um, I think that was, you know, like that social aspect, that human aspect. It's just so much more than the money. People building in this space, you know, let me maybe wrap up and put it very very shortly just by saying that many people say that so much in this space is done because of the money but i would argue that so much is done despite the money and there are many many people who are building in this space even though they could accept very very highly paid positions at some other firms like some centralized centralized uh, endeavors and they still you know build their little project build their little decentralized whatever and they lost many of these projects because they simply went down with the chain. That was the most yeah. devastating for me and yeah. outweighs any monetary aspects I'm, in any way. I'm really glad that you're talking about that too, because, you know, I want to do the spaces to be fully transparent about the interview and like what went into it and like kind of my thinking around it too, as I've like reflected on a lot of the press coverage that's come from this too. And, you know, just from like our perspective, around the suicide and loss. And again, like I remember, you know, chatting with Donku in those spaces, like they, I, I, it's really hard to kind of communicate. And I haven't really dealt with that. Like, you know, it's not really like personal grief isn't something that I've had to face around like people contemplating suicide, which, you know, again, you know, I'm fortunate that I haven't been put in that position, but like a lot of us were put in that position. And like, you know, a lot of people in the community were openly tweeting about like, I don't know what I'm going to do like people I had never met before. And like, I felt the need to kind of like, because again, like how much of this is put on our shoulders as people who talk about this project, 
and like I never told anyone to buy anything to be very clear like around Donku like you, you and I kind of chatted about this like of course we covered the project because it was like again very coherent and very uh like center to the idea of crypto like decentralized money and stuff and so like yeah I reflect on like oh man like if people were drawn into this because of my reporting like granted I didn't say buy anything but like I did add spotlight to this project like how much of this is put on my shoulders right and like you know that's something that I was asked about on Coindesk this week like do you regret any of your coverage when I was basically accused as, as, of being a shill it's like I didn't ask anyone to put their money into this I was covering it from like a position of what does this project mean for crypto and like if people were brought into this project it was by their own doing and Donku you always kind of raise in your videos like this isn't financial advice I'm presenting facts you can make your own calls here invest whatever you see fit um and so like when I'm asked if I regret anything, like my answer in, in that space or in that interview was no, I don't regret anything because like I highlighted it and I was very fair with the risks and everyone can make their own decisions. But like it was also presented in a way where they read, you know, someone's tweet and I'm not going to name names or anything, but like, you know, tweets around that. It's like, of course, these are things that I think about. And it's like, of course, like my co-founder's family friend killed himself in the wake of all of this. You know, it's like these are weights that people in the community dealt with and so like to kind of to kind of imply that none of that matters right and like do you regret what you did like of course we talk like journalists think about all these questions and then for like someone else to tweet about like oh i'm gonna look at these specific frames from the interview and make it look like zach's smiling when he's talking about suicides like i just hope everyone kind of reflected on that and thought about like how gross a move like that is when we're talking about like someone again i didn't know my co-founder's family friend but like obviously, as we're discussing, like we all had insights into the suicides and stuff here. And like to kind of read a tweet like that on air or to even tweet something like that out, like to imply I'm smiling at suicides, which is like, why? Like just wild, honestly, from like my position to like see and to have someone like that read during an interview, like on air, like journalistically, you know, everyone makes their own calls and what they choose to put in their interviews. But like, I don't know. I, I had a discussion around that just because it's like, yo, this is the guy. This is the guy. And so, like, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that, but it's like, this is stuff where it's like the questions around how people are involved in these projects or like what you're doing when you're kind of highlighting these projects. And like, it's really hard to be a crypto journalist. You know, it's like, it's difficult and you need to kind of go down the rabbit hole to even know which projects are legit and which ones aren't. Right. And so, that's what made telling the story kind of tricky from the very beginning is like, yes, it was either going to succeed or fail. There was no in between. I'm repeating myself now. So if there's people who just joined, it's like you could see that it was going to be either the biggest success or the biggest failure because it's either a dollar or it's not. And when it grows so big, like the risks or the stakes only get bigger, right? Like the stakes are all these people are now putting their money into this project and it becomes huge. And so like, yeah, it's, it's just a lot to think about. You can point to the number, but I do think that like, yes, the number is catching. It gets a lot of people who weren't attached to this project or knew what the hell was going on. It like draws them into like, okay, that's what the story is about. It's about money getting like lost. But you're right, Karma. It's like so much more than that. It was like reputations getting lost. It was like friends getting lost. It was a lot of stuff. And so like, I don't know, in telling it and seeing someone characterize it like that was just like kind of tough for me personally. I'm not going to lie. It was just like people don't see the the thought that goes into stories like this. And so like, I'll plug our project one more time. Like if anyone wants to build this with us, and like cares about this stuff as much, like please join us and like join the discord, mint the NFT, like build this with us because like, this is just one story. 
that we want to tell. But like, there's so many stories like this in crypto and like, you know, the regulators are trying to do what they do. But like, I think like a native show like coinage that is like owned and operated by the community can flag these things like way better than regulators. Right. Cause you got to get your hands dirty and you got to know what's going on. So like, that's what we were trying to do. We were working on the piece already with Doe back in April about some of these risks. And like, I think about what could have been prevented, right? Like, like Donku and, you know, a lot of other people in the space, like I chatted with them about some of this stuff, like behind the scenes, like, Hey, what do you think about like these risks? Or like, what do you think about like, the yield reserve running low. And like, I was already talking to Doe about like, what are the risks around that? Because people are chatting about it in the community. Like, it looks like if there was anything that could spark a bank run, like right now, the fear is very high that like everyone would just pull their money out and this thing's going to die. And so like, we had lined up an interview back in April to talk about why are you not doing that? Like, I specifically asked, like, when is the yield reserve going to be put up? Donku, you asked like, hey, what's the size of this going to be? And Do Kwon tweets like 1 billion seems low, right? And so like people who are in the community might see that and be like, okay, we're fine. Everything's fine. But like not everyone sees what happens on crypto Twitter. So like obviously the fears of like a panic still spill over. And so, yeah, people don't see that like some of this stuff was already trying to happen, you know, before the, before the crash. And like we were already working on that story at Coinage and then <laughs> basically got scooped by Do Kwan's failure, right? And like this whole project crashing when we were working on the piece to highlight some of the risks that I think would have saved a lot of people from harm. And so, I don't know, that's just like one thing that people don't know in kind of landing this interview and like where it came from was already like it was in the works before the crash happened. And then, you know, obviously Do Kwan had to deal with a lot of stuff and like, you know, had, he needed time to reflect. He was just trying to do like Luna 2.02. So like, I asked basically every day since the crash, checked in with his comms team to like, hey, where are we at? Like, is this doable? When is the interview going to happen? Like, you know, again, the only thing that I promised was like, I knew this project well enough to present it to like a wide mainstream audience. Like I already knew how Terra worked and I already knew like kind of how the pieces worked. Thanks to like people like Donku who like explain it very, very well. And so like we were pitching this coinage interview for like for literally months every day. And so eventually when he responded and said, hey, um, I'm willing to answer like any any question, honestly and transparently, like we immediately jumped on a plane and went out there to get this done. Um, And like the other stress is like once you shoot something like this, like, you know, we needed time to edit it. And you're acting with a guy who like, can you trust Doquan in the wake of this? Like that was the main piece of the of the question was like how trustworthy is doquan you've got a guy who potentially defrauded everybody out of their money um if that's the way you're looking at it and like he's giving me his word that he's not going to do interviews with anybody else but like we have shot this thing now and we invested heavily in it by flying to singapore as a startup right and like it's like this is our big thing and you know the whole team works so hard on getting this out we're only a team of six people and so like we pulled all-nighters again as i said earlier like our producer like just basically dropped his kids and said like, you know, dad's got to go to Singapore to shoot this thing. And so like, you know, a team of six really hustled to get this out. And like, uh, again, it was like, you can't sit on it forever. Cause like we could get scooped. So we got to put this out. So we, we tried our best. And again, like in like what I feel bad about mostly is like, we could have been clear that the second part was always coming. Right. And so like, it was tough to watch kind of people attack part one because like that wasn't meant for a DGen audience or anyone who's been in this before, right? It was like meant for a mainstream audience to explain all the facts 
that like really, again, I think is why I got this interview. And like, you can kind of push back and say, no, no, like all the bias is there. It's just because Terraform Labs was an investor in Coinage's parent company, which again, we disclosed. And that's the only reason why anybody knows. But like, to me, and I asked Doe about this and like, I didn't want to respond to anybody on Twitter saying like, no, we actually got this because Doe needed someone to like, tell the story and trust that like, they're going to present the facts, like how Terra worked accurately. And then everything else is like just questions and none are off limits. And so like, that's what was agreed to before it was only that. Um, and so, you know, when we put this piece out, the regret I have is like not being as clear. We told everyone bonus content would be coming after the first episode, but like the way it was reacted to, I think someone, I don't remember who wrote it, but like, you know, there's an op-ed written about like why this was a flop or more offensively, like a, a flubbed PR attempt to make Joe Kwan look good, which again, like, as any journalist, like that's the biggest slap in the face you can get just, you know, speaking truthfully. It's like you're undermining someone's like ability to present facts and speak truthfully. So like, you know, obviously that is what it is. But like other ones are like, you know, they dropped the ball on this whole interview, like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't think that that's really what people think. If you watch part two, again, please, if you're listening to this, like share part two and make sure people know that it even exists because so much hype was built up by our like trailer release that like, you know, I don't want people to think that that's all this was. And so there are a lot of answers in part two. Please share it. Again, if you want to build with us, please DM either me or Coinage uh, to kind of help us get this out there. Because again, this is just the first story. And it's very tricky to like kind of lead with this. Obviously, it's tricky for all kinds of reasons. And that's just kind of like me speaking from my point of view. Um, and obviously, that's not all this space is, is all about. But, you know, that's one of the things that I would reiterate. You know, you can share this. You can ask more questions. I mean, if anyone has any questions in here, please jump up and ask them because there's a lot more that we didn't get to. Um, but Donku, after listening to like all that, if there's anything else that you have in your mind, I mean, we're going to wrap this up, I think, pretty, pretty closely because uh, we've been doing this for like a couple hours. But is there anything else that you had in terms of after watching and still lingering questions, other things you want to see other people do with coverage around this? You know, what else you got? No, nothing in particular. Again, just uh, cool that you did it. Um, I think, I don't know if you answered in the beginning, I asked you kind of how was the first contact for you, right? Of kind of shaking hands because I think it was, was it in person also the first time meeting him? That would just be the, the only thing I would just be curious because that's just for me as a person, something that it's always, uh, I don't forget, right? The first contact to somebody and also now after all of this, how weird was it? How cringe was it? How, I don't know, right? If, if it even was a special moment or, or something to talk about. No, it's a really good question. Cause it's like, yeah, how do you, how do you interact with someone after this happens? Right. It's like, there are all these allegations out there, right? I assume it's probably no different than like when you're greeting someone who has been accused of all kinds of crimes. Right. And it's like, you knew them differently before those allegations came out. So it's like, how does that impact what you're thinking about the person? But it wasn't the first time I had met Doquan. Like I had interviewed him before for Yahoo Finance and met him at Mainnet, if you recall, actually right before he got served, um, or right after he got served actually, because the SEC was looking to me. Ah, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Like another piece of the story that we like didn't get to cover, but it's like, yes, Doquan is a brash, brash man. He countersued the SEC, right? And it's like, objectively mirror is you know an unregistered broker basically right it's like you can buy stock uh, securities via this thing um like the defense is that like well we didn't create mirror it's just like built on terra and like you know obviously 
there's a lot of stuff being built in Web3 and, and crypto that's just like, I don't know, as a regulator, you're like, I don't know. I just know that it's not right. And so we need to do something about it. And so like, it was a very interesting battle to see play out. But that was the first time I had met him, Donku. And uh, in uh, Singapore, when we landed, the whole idea basically in any interview is like, you know, you want, you get the best stuff when like people are, are comfortable. Yeah. Like, and again, I will plug the write up from block words here. They're in this uh, spaces because it's just so good. Um, like you really want to get someone to open up. And so like, how do you do that really? Right. It's like, you want to make them feel comfortable. And so we had a dinner beforehand on Friday. We shot this on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and it was basically a meeting to kind of dance around. I don't know if you've watched Frost Nixon, but internally we had a lot of like debate around like, this is the Frost Nixon interview. Like, you know, everyone's been trying to get this guy. We don't know how to like uh, get him to speak. Obviously there's stuff that like, he's not going to want to address, but like we can only do our best to like get those answers and get those like gotcha moments based on like what we know about this collapse. Right. And so like the questions were designed to be very much built around like, what did you know and when, and like how much of this was kind of like, you hiding what you knew. Right. And so, um, on Friday when we were kind of having this discussion pre-interview was just like kind of dancing around that a little bit and, um, you know, figuring out like kind of how I was thinking about things and how he was thinking about things. And like, again, a discussion about like, everything's on the table, made that very clear, like no questions off limits. And he's like, yep, go for it. Everything's, you know? And so that was, again, it was like no different than any interview I've ever set up before. It's like a hundred percent. We weren't going to go do this if it was like, no, you can't ask about this or you need to see our questions beforehand. Like that's another thing that's just like journalistically uh, I've never done and any good journalist doesn't do. And so this was presented in that way. And then, uh, yeah, I mean like it was literally like normally again, I'll just stress that like for an interview this big or, or the implications this big, like think about it. The guys in Singapore, and prosecutors are swirling literally like in between as we present in, in the first part, like his co-founder's house, like it's reported that prosecutors storm it and, and, you know, get in there. And it's like, this guy is, there's no legal representatives in the room. There's no PR people in the room. It's like, I don't know. It's just us chatting. Right. And so like the piece kind of reflects that. And like, I guess, <laughs> I guess I got attacked for being a smiley guy. And I guess, you know, again, if you have more time to like think about how this might be received, that could be a thing that kind of looks weird, but like, that's just generally how I am. And so like, I'm just asking the questions. And again, Donku and I like, you know, we, uh, this is insanely personal because I lost money in this and like know the pain, but like, I don't know. It was just mostly like a discussion to get to the truth. So like naturally smiley, I was smiley. Um, so that's kind of, I guess the backstory around some of that stuff. And then obviously like once we got back, it was like, okay, we need to do this like as soon as possible. We need to get this out because there are rumors that like other people, other publications were lining up something too. And so that added to like the pressure of getting this out. Like this is all the story behind the story. I don't want to like get too far into this, but I think that those are good questions uh, around kind of like how it came about and what happened there. But I don't know if anyone else has any other questions. I think we're going to wrap this one up pretty soon. Right, Donku? So yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, it's anywhere in the middle of the night. I mean, it feels great to have long spaces again uh to have people uh coming up here speaking to listen to you uh, i think it was a great experience and just to maybe make this even a better experience um you invited me to this uh, mint right which i'm right now doing so uh, finally right i got the funds on chain with my company and there is a code phrase right 
that I'm right now looking at to enter this. Um, th there are three words, and Zach, I don't know if you made this on purpose, right? But the three words, I think it's fine that I say it here, right? Because it's connected. No, to no, it, it's... certainly not. Certainly not. Do not say those. Those are one specific. Uh, okay, because one of those. those. Okay, but you know, one of those is Ponzi. <laughs> I'm just get of that. Damn, this is this is tough, sir, right now. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, part of part of what we're trying to do with the Coinage Media brand too <laughs> is like speaking in lingos. Like this is honestly the challenge. And again, reflecting on like, I guess the way that these pieces were received is like again, we're trying. Like if you look at the if you look at part one and part two, like if you know everything, right? If you were in the tech community or you're like a crypto expert or a DGen. Like, you know, all this stuff already. So like, it wasn't really surprising to see a lot of people like watch the interview and be like, well, why the hell is there an explainer in here for like seven minutes before you actually get to the interview? And it's like, all of these things were extremely calculated decisions and like how we we're trying to present this from the coinage brand, which is like speaking both DeFi DGen owned a show that's owned by like really smart people in crypto via NFTs and like can, can enjoy and like the upside if this show grows to what we hope it does, like, right. So like you're aligning incentives between like, Yes, the audience can mint a free NFT to like see stuff first and behind the token gate. But like the tier that you're talking about, and thank God you didn't just reveal, <laughs> reveal your stuff. You're right. You needed to link your wallet anyway. So like no one would have been able to do anything. But like that tier, which again started with like some of our uh, investors in SBF and John Wu, like uh, and a couple other ones, like we all got invites and we all get to mint. And then we get those invites and we send them to people like you. And then you get to do this and you mint and then you get invites. And so it's like we give the control up to like everybody as this is built up. It's a true decentralized show with hopefully as many conflicting viewpoints as possible. Again, it's a weird experiment because we basically could have prevented. Obviously, we weren't going to prevent the collapse of this thing, but we could have brought up a lot of questions before it happened. And that's what we were trying to do by doing this back in April. Because, like, if you remember, SBF was talking a lot about the problems attached to Terra openly on the Bloomberg podcast uh, with Joe Weisenthal and on lots and, uh, and Matt Levine is like, OK, we have SBF in our community, basically. At that point, we hadn't minted the NFTs. So, like, you know, no one from Terraform Labs was in this community. No one from, like, uh, Alameda Research was in this community or Ava Labs. So, like, we still had time to choose who would be our first minters. Um, and to be clear, Do Kwan is not uh, a part of this at all. He doesn't have an NFT. Um, and you can kind of follow along on chain, obviously, who kind of is minting. Um, some of them are like ETH wallets and stuff. So you can kind of see who's attached. Brett Harrison from FTX got an invite to, to kind of mint as well. So we're, we're in this active game right now where people are choosing who they want to invite. And we're hoping that this is kind of a new model of decentralizing a community from the very get go to bring in conflicting viewpoints so we can tell the best stories in crypto. Cause like partially what a lot of these things fail to do is real discourse, right? Like if you're bought into a project and again, I credit you a lot, Donku, cause it's like, we, we and I were pretty critical of a lot of stuff. Like you're openly talking about like, Hey, what's going on with the anchor yield reserve? Like it's dwindling. We don't know what's going on here, but like, that's not a good luck. Someone should do something about that. You know, I'm like, well, what's the point of LFG? That's kind of like a crypto fed, like, we weren't shills in the way that we're like saying, hey, this is a great project. There's nothing wrong with it. Go buy it. And like, we're going to dip and sell on everybody. Like, that's a shill, right? So like, what we want to do with this is bring in a bunch of conflicting viewpoints so we can A, ask better questions. Unfortunately, we weren't in a place to like have a huge community because no one had heard about us. We tried to put out a press release, but like we only had about, I don't know, like 200 subscribers when we went to Singapore. Um, actually we hadn't even launched yet, so we didn't have any subscribers to like help us with the questions. But like, if you think about where this goes, 
as this grows and as people hear about coinage, we're going to have a huge community of really smart people in basically our decentralized newsroom. So like they can weigh in on all the stuff. They can research along with us. We can ask better questions. We can get better sourcing. We can go straight to the source. Like this is, I think, what separates, you know, old media from new media in the way that like Web3 unlocks all these things. It unlocks access. It unlocks ownership. It unlocks kind of breaking down the wall between a content creator and the audience, right? And so you think about Web3 and what this all means is like, you basically have in Web2 a show and the show is only as good as the audience it attracts, right? So like you make a huge show, you get a big audience and you sell ads against it. And so like what I love about crypto is it's like all realigning incentives, right? And so like that's a pretty poor model because ads detract from the product a media companies delivering. And so like, why would you do that? I don't know, that's just the model, right? That's what's been done. But like with NFTs and with Web3, I'm trying to envision a way that like, we can rearrange that to where the incentives are aligned to where the audience becomes, you know, a producer basically and helping you create a better show. But they also stand to gain if they own the show, right? And so like, there's upside for them. And then if you think about like, how any show goes viral, I never heard about Squid Games before, but like my friends told me about it. And like, they were the early adopters, I guess. And like, no one's rewarded for that in that model, right? Like, I guess I say, hey, thanks for the show recommendation. Great job, buddy. But like, if you own the NFT to the show and you're like telling people like, hey, this is really good content. I helped kind of like research some of the stuff. I chose what it like covers. You know, I thought, I don't know, Tara was an interesting story. So I presented that to the team and we voted on it and we chased Tara. And it's like, now I'm invested in this thing, not like monetarily necessarily, but like, our lawyers would say, don't say that, but I'm invested in this thing, like with my work and my time and I'm sharing this. Right. And so like you can align incentives to create a really cool thing this way. And so like, yes, it's an experiment. If anybody wants to build with us, please DM. Um, cause it's still very early on and I'm excited personally to have you involved Donku, Cause like, I think our content's going to be way better. Um, but yeah, we're still working out kind of like what this looks like sharing more details right now. It's invite only, but I'm happy to bring other people in. Um, and of course, like the subscriber mints are free. We're trying to figure out a way to kind of open this up gradually. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's a decentralized show. So it's never been done before and I'm really excited about where it goes. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you like the content, thank you for watching. If you, um, have any questions about kind of other things, definitely hit me up. If you want to build with us, DM coinage media or, uh, DM myself. And Donko, I'm excited to have you on board. Thank you for chatting with us in the community. Um, we've been doing this for a couple hours, so I think we might wrap it there. But, um, but yeah, thanks to everybody for watching. Share part two if you think there are still people out there that haven't seen it. Obviously, we want to get these questions and answers out there. Um, and I hope, you know, obviously we were first to kind of report the story, but I, I hope that there are others that kind of do it now too. We'll be watching to see what kind of unfolds with the prosecution in Korea. Um, that was one other interesting thing that like Bloomberg reported after we put our piece out. A lot of people were like, this doesn't make any sense. Like Doquan hasn't talked to prosecutors in Korea. Like what the hell's going on there? That doesn't sound right. And then Bloomberg followed up, you know, confirming what we had in our interview, basically saying like they're working on the case, but don't have anything yet. Haven't been in contact. So like that felt good to just be like, yeah, look, <laughs> this is true journalism. This is like fact. And again, I guess in retrospect, trust no one is our motto. And like, of course, it takes time for people to trust things. And like, sure, I guess as a new brand, no one's going to trust us. So like we have to build that over time and we're looking forward to doing it. But um, it was interesting to see a lot of the reactions to this. And like, I don't blame anyone for that since it's like, yeah, 
you can't trust anybody out there, especially not in crypto. So like, we're excited to build this and excited to gain trust. Um, having people like you on board, Donku, I think obviously, like when you think about what the value of anything in this space really is, like it's hard to assign, attach anything to trust, right? And so like, that's what's kind of cool about this. It's like the NFT technology to kind of do trust as a service, as we're calling it, via any like publication. That's really what you're selling. You're selling your reputation. And so, you know, I hope anyone watching this or listening to this space is like realizes how important that is to us at Coinage, me personally, and like uh, the people building with us, like you as well. So I think we'll wrap it there. Thanks for coming on, man. I hope you're not still in the park because that's a long time to be in the park. Sir, I'm minting right now at home. So, uh, (laughs) no. (laughs) We got a live mint going on. But yeah, if anybody else wants to get involved, we'd love to have you. You can mint the free NFT. We'll probably figure out a way. So like anyone who has that, it's priority access to the caucus launch, which is, you know, a different tier of ownership and coinage. Um, right now, the NFT, uh, the, the network tier is minting as Donker's doing live on the spaces. Um, so, yeah, so hit me up if you want to invite, if you think you know of anybody who would be really good to build with. It was actually kind of cool. We haven't told anybody, but like we got a call from Coinbase who had noticed our piece. And I guess a lot of people noticed the piece as it went up, blew up and went viral. But like it was cool to hear from even like them like yeah obviously everyone understands it's really hard to tell crypto stories right like and i guess you know we're in a good spot to like kind of have the funds and like that's kind of what the nft experiment's all about is like we want to do this in all kinds of content niches like trustless media is the parent company but coinage is the first show and so like if this model works i think we will prove something that hasn't been done before and that's exciting for web3 and for all of crypto because i think anyone who's native to the space realizes like what's happening right now is a huge movement right and like i've never been more excited professionally in my career to chase this opportunity and get to do it with like people like donku but like um you know i think it's it's really cool to hear people say like you explain a story to a mainstream audience that like can understand this stuff and then also you know we should have handled it better but like the DJs also got the stuff they wanted. They just didn't get it right away because, you know, you had to show what the brand was going to be. But if there's anything like that, that you're like, hey, you should have done this differently. Like, we also want to hear criticism and feedback around that stuff, too. Um, you know, if they're if they're fair and not just like, I don't know, I won't get too deep into the other stuff out there from some people on Twitter. But anyways, thank you for listening to all this. Uh, Donku, thanks for minting. Excited to chat again soon, man. Um, thanks for sharing like all this stuff, because obviously. It's impacted a lot of people and it was uh, really tough to go through as from a community perspective, but it was nice to have you along for the ride, man. Thank you, sir. Big pleasure. And um, now you, yeah, let, let's chat uh, separately because I need to understand what to do now on Discord, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll cut through all that. You're our guinea pig for now. But thanks, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll end it there. Uh, go follow Coinage and hit me up if you have any questions or anything else. But thanks again. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Inside Terra's Collapse and the Coinage Doquan interview, hosted by Zach Guzman from Coinage and Donku. Recorded on Saturday, August 20th, 2022. For terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Sneaking through back alleys on a little cosplay Broadway all day, looking like the wrong way Resuscitating major players in the waiting room Sifting through the paperwork while I be debating fools Breaking rules, breaking bad, like we always wait for doom Slayed a few in my early years, often hit the shroom Sitting in the dark, waiting for the daily news To let us know what we should believe as the latest truth Stay aloof, writing rhymes in the studio Trying to keep it well lit like filming a movie role 
sorting through support from your endorsements Of course we're tripping balls, handed reports it The latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pack of heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Big thinking energy always gets the best of me When I kick it in the lab messing with new recipes Gotta mix and match, flip the lash, letting rhythm scratch Dope shit, spitting facts with my vision smashed Big trip aristocrats, dishing out a list of trash Missing wisdom, this fish is too big to catch Better let the missus know where you hit the stash Watch your next step, bro, before you hit the traps Walking on eggshells, tripping over landmines And I'm about done dealing with these damn lies Man, I'm looking at this planet like a franchise Chastised into digging holes in the back nine the latest proof ain't a way to move, change the view Just a bunch of pecker heads living in a chicken coop Picking at the dinner, finger licking like the plate is good So kick it for a minute then show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Show me what that thing could do Two plus two Spaces.